Hi guys, Dean Douglas here, your host of the Simple to Understand podcast. Before I introduce my guest, I would like to take a moment and just say thank you to the six individuals who gave a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts. I really appreciate the time that you guys spent and did this. I've only been doing this for a few months, but uh, every little review or comment or anything that uh, comes my way. I really appreciate it and am enjoying the interactions that I've had so far, not only with my guests, but the people that have uh, been listening to each episode. So just wanted to say thank you. For sure, one of those ratings is my wife. So special shout out to my wife. Love you, babe. And uh, to the other five, thank you guys very much. I I appreciate it as well. And uh, yeah, I just wanted to kickstart that off and uh, say that. Today, my guest is a good friend of mine, Frank Viert. And I've had the pleasure of knowing Frank for a few years. And finally, we had a chance to actually sit down and he was able to share his story. And what a story he has. I think you guys are going to absolutely love this episode. It is chocked full of inspiration. And I think you're going to find a lot of really good takeaways in this episode. I'm not going to do a lengthy bio on who Frank is. Other than the only thing that I'll say is he is currently, at the time that we recorded this podcast, the dealer principal or general manager, either uh, title would suit. So dealer principal or general manager of Eastern Chrysler Dodge Jeep Ram. So it's a big Chrysler dealership here in Winnipeg, Manitoba. And the other little tidbit that I'll throw out there is that he's only 25. So he's 25 years old and he is running a huge franchise uh, car dealership. And that's all I'm going to say because I let him tell his story and we dive right into it right from the get go. So I hope you guys enjoy this conversation as much as I did. Uh, and yeah, just just enjoy it, guys. It'll it'll knock your socks off. So please, if you haven't done so already, after you listen to the episode, take 30 seconds and uh, leave a review and uh, let me know what you guys thought by also heading over to www.simpletounderstand.com. That's it for me. Please enjoy this conversation with the one and only Frank Beard. All right, Frank, we are recording. Thanks for coming down and doing this podcast with me. No problem. No problem. (laughs) All right. So let's just start with uh, maybe just tell um, whoever's listening just a little bit about yourself, what you're currently doing, and uh, I'll let you just take it away. For sure. Uh, Yeah. So uh, general manager at Eastern Chrysler, uh, general manager, dealer principal, Mm -hmm. which... uh, was always my end game goal so yeah um yeah and I got to my home city so yeah and how old are you 25 so you're 25 and you're a dealer principal for a a large franchise dealership yeah and uh I think this will be something that we'll we'll dive into and I got about five years about five years background in the auto industry and so I think oh, this will yeah. be this will be good. We'll go back and forth on <laughs> and share some stories. So I'm excited to get into it. So yeah. 
So let's let's just back it up and see your path on how the heck a 25-year-old became a dealer principal. So let's just start with maybe how how many years have you spent in the auto industry? Well, yeah. So, um, I mean, you know, I mean, you used to work with my dad, so you yeah. always saw me coming around in university, but yeah, I mean, I only, I started washing cars eight years ago. Um, and that was kind of where it all started. But during that time, during that time, I always bought and sold cars and I was always hustling on the side, but I mean, really where it stems is my whole life. I mean, I grew up, my dad, has been in the car business most of his life. Um, my grandfather was in the car business. My great grandfather was in the car business. Like it's like gasoline in the veins kind of story, right? So I mean, it's it's just for me when I was really young, I remember my dad, my grandfather buying and selling cars, and you know, just kind of old school hustlers. You know, they were just always buying and selling, and you know, I just as a little kid, I just was there. They'd bring me, you know? And, uh, so I mean, into high school, I started to actually buy and sell cars with my dad. I did some summer jobs. I started working in a restaurant, you know, in, in my hometown, Emerson, Manitoba, small town. Mm-hmm. It was a big deal. I got a job at the restaurant. I was like the only kid with a real job. So yeah. had that, was cutting grass, saving up money. And then, so my dad and I, we, you know, I bought and sold a snowmobile and then it was a, you know, a junky used car and, you know, customs, it was a border town. So okay. they always used to auction like the cars that people tried to like hide drugs in. <laughs> Okay. They, they would yeah. like impound them and then auction them. And I remember like my dad, mm. no one would go to bid on these cars other than locals. So you buy them super cheap. Yeah. The fender would be like ripped off cause there was drugs in it. But so then you yeah. fix it up and sell it. And yeah. So anyways, that's kind of where it was all starting to begin. Worked at the restaurant, did my own stuff, cut grass, worked, did some landscaping. It was always just kind of that entrepreneurial spirit. And then what ended up happening was, uh, I went into the mechanic side. I really liked like snowmobiling. I really liked quads. I really liked that sort of stuff. Right. Yeah. And what had happened was my parents divorced. My dad lived in Winnipeg. So I was used to see him in Winnipeg and and all that. And anyways, I, uh, I found out when I moved to, I moved to Winnipeg, my mom had to move, move to Steinbeck with her work. I decided to go, go live with my dad, my grade 11 year. And I found out that you could actually get credits by working as like a mechanic. And so I was like, man, this is great. Like I can graduate early just by working. Like I'm already working all the time. So I, I got a job with this uh, marina out in West Hawk Lake and I was fixing boats and quads and whatever. But I, every hour I worked went towards high school credits. Mm, and that was in grade 11. Grade 11. Okay. Yeah. So then long story short, I worked there, do all these hours And I ended up getting all these credits for, you know, my uh, other grade 12 courses. Then I just had to take my core math and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. Loved it. But then I really started to get into like the buying and selling, buying and selling, you know, boat motors and buying and selling just cars. And it was always something, you know, always something on the go. And I was starting to make more money doing that than I was actually my job as a mechanic. Yeah. So I got a letter in the mail and my dad actually gave it to me and he's like, it was a direct entry program to the business school. 
right? And so to ask for school business, which okay, commerce at U of M, yeah. Yeah. So I was like, well, you know, I'm kind of digging this, you know, like buying and selling stuff. So let's give it a go, you know? And what it was was if you had an average of 85% or more in high school, you could actually get directly into the program. You could mm. get into the program so you didn't have to have that amazing, you know, first year and get into the faculty because it was very, very competitive. Right. And this is actually a crazy story. I'm going to segue for a second. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, so this is kind of where the car business story starts. This is really where it starts. So what ended up happening was, um, uh, my average was like 83%. So I wasn't going to get in. So I gave all the submission and then, um, I kind of did rush through it cause I was just busy and, and I realized, Oh shit, you need 85%. So I was living out in West Hawk Lake as a mechanic. So I call my dad up and he's and I'm like, dad, you got to go get the, the, the application. I'm not 85%. No one really knows about this story. So he goes to the Asper school and he like somehow gets my application back and I go back to my high school teacher at this time because I graduated early from high school. So school, high school was still going on. The graduation hadn't happened yet. Okay. But I technically was because I had all these credits from as a mechanic. So I went back to my English teacher and I was like, hey, listen, like I'm, you know, mechanic now. Like technically I'm graduated even though we haven't like finished the year. I'm 2% short of getting into this faculty can you help me out? And I always got along with her and she's like, Oh, okay. Write me an essay about your experience in Red River college, you know, being a young, like grade 12 student, like what's that like graduating early and stuff like that. Write me an essay. And if you do well, I'll give you the 2%. So you went to Red River college, the high school. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Sorry. Cause I graduated early and to do my mechanic thing, carry it on. I got my level one in Red River. Yeah. No, I just wanted to be clear. Cause I know I've talked with previous guests on the podcast that because I'm a Red River college grad, but the college like mm. post-secondary education college. So for those listening in Winnipeg, there's a Red River College High School. No, no. So yeah, Isn't I, there? I did. I did no, no, you're right. But I did. Okay. The, I did the college, but for a mechanic. Oh, okay. Sorry, I skipped that step. No, no, so that's okay. I graduated a little early because okay. I had all these extra credits. And so semester two of grade 12, I went to Red River immediately. Okay, got it. Yeah. So I went in to be level one technician as a, a marine and power sports. Got it. So I went right in, but you're right, there's a high school and a college, but yeah, yes, so I yeah, hop okay. in. Got it. And my level, it was paid for. The government pays for it because they need people in trades. Yeah. So I was like, perfect. Like, this, it's all paid for. Like, it's great. Yeah. So, um, yeah. And so I'm getting, but at the time I knew it wasn't like my destiny, you know, cause I was like working at this Marina and I was like, ah, I like it, but I'm not, it just, it's not like my passion, you know? Yeah. And, uh, so anyways, so yeah, I went back to her at the high school and I'm like, Hey, like, here's the thing. And so she's like, okay, tell me about your experience. Tell me about, you know, what it was like, you know, doing, uh, Red River college and on and on. And yeah. So I do it. She gives in the 2%. So then I just make the submission like just on time. Right. And I, and I go and, uh, anyways, I get in and I found out like hundreds of people didn't get in and I somehow got in. Right. And partially the reason I got in, here's what's crazy. 
in my power mechanics course, because that was one of my courses, the elective that I picked, because you had to pick your math, English, and all sure. this. Yeah. Power mechanics, I got like 99%. Okay. So The highest it. grade he's ever given out, ever. But I used to go like after hours, he was big into drag racing in high school, and I'd help him fix his like drag car, and I just loved it, right? I was like, oh, muscle cars, and I was like, man, like, can I help? Like, yeah. And so he loved me. Yeah. And he would give me like extra projects and stuff. And I was like, just so like, I loved it. Dove into it. Yeah. So, and then when he was like, he had all these projects, I took it serious and Mm -hmm. I did it well. And then everyone else was like, ah, it's power mech. Who cares? Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, so I got like a perfect grade. And so it really drove my average up. Yeah. And so cars was always like a destined thing. I I really believe. And then what ended up happening was, um, uh, I got the 2% from the essay. I got into the Asper school and then, uh, basically they held a lunch. They held a lunch to accept you to make it in. Right. Okay. And so I go to the, I didn't even want to go to the lunch cause I was busy selling cars and fixing boats and all this shit. Right. So I'm like, well, you know what? I'm not going to go. And my dad actually at the time, he was like, you gotta go. Like you're, you made it in. You got to go. And it was like maybe 500 people made it in this direct entry program. And, uh, was he looking at it? Like, you know, you'll make connections. And actually, yeah. And what's funny is he goes, he goes, what if you meet RM Chipman? Okay. He says this to me and this is how this is where the story gets crazy. So he says to me, what if you meet RM Chipman? I'm like, who's RM Chipman? And I think he said Bob Chipman, but Bob Chipman was the founder of the Bertrand group. Right. And obviously, like Winnipeg Jets now is Mark Chipman, his son, and National Leasing, just this massive company. Yeah. For those who are listening, because the podcast can get picked up anywhere in the world, Chipmans are a very well-established, very successful family that own car dealerships. They're co-owners of the Winnipeg Jets. Yeah. Um, Big stuff. Yeah. They do real estate. They're the big movers and shakers in Winnipeg. Oh yeah. One of the, uh, one of the top families for sure. Yeah. Sorry. For sure. So, and I'm like, well, what's so like, what what do you mean? So he goes, well, my grandfather who was Frank Viert, I'm Frank Jr. Okay. Right. Um, named after your your grandfather. grandfather. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so he worked for Bob Chipman in the original Birchwood Chevrolet store, like the first store, you know, Mm. and he, and he sold cars for him for years and years, Mm. like 30 years with, with, with his dealership. Wow. And sold cars and provided a great life for my dad and his sisters and everything else. And so then he's like, what if you meet him? Like, and I'm like, yeah, I'm not going to meet him. Like, what are you talking about? And like, whatever. So this is the crazy part of the story. Um, so I go to the lunch, fine. I'm like, okay, I'll go. I get there kind of late. Everyone's sitting at the table, you know? And so I walk up and Hey, I just walk up to everybody. Hey, I'm Frank Veard. Nice to meet you. How's it going? Go. And there's my seat. And I see Frank Veard and right beside me, RM Chipman. <laughs> no way. It's, it's like a book, right? You can't oh, even write that. No so, kidding. So anyways, I'm like, I'm like RM Chipman. I was like, so I was like, that stands for Bob Chipman, right? Because my dad always called him Bob Chipman. He's like, he's like, yeah, Robert Chipman. And I was like, oh, no way. I'm Frank Veert. So I said it a second time. And he's like, Frank Veert. And he goes, I haven't heard that name in 20 years. Like, <laughs> And I'm like, yeah, I'm Frank Jr. And anyways, I sit right beside him. 
And at this time, the Winnipeg Jets hadn't even really been, like the jersey hadn't been announced. It was still very much, we knew we were getting a team. We, we didn't know the name yet. It was very fresh. Mm-hmm. This is in like 2011, I guess. Yeah. And uh, anyways, so we get talking and we're just hitting it off. What are you doing for work? He asked. I'm like, well, I'm working on West Hawk Lake and I'm buying and selling cars. And so he's kind of smiling and yeah. And, uh, so anyways, great, uh, lunch. They did great speaking. Um, they give you like your pin. So like you're in the Asper school and all this stuff. So it's all good. You're in the club. Yeah. And then right at the end, he, he comes to me and he, he gives me his business card and he's like, Hey, so listen, I know you're working on West Hawk Lake. And, uh, but maybe if you're looking for a job, you could give me a call. And so I like, I'm like, no way. So I go, I call my dad right after and I'm like, you're not going to believe it. <laughs> and he's like, I told you. Yeah, exactly. And he's like, he's like, get out. He's like, he doesn't believe me. Right. And I'm like, yeah. no, it's, I'm serious. I, I sat right beside him. Yeah. And, um, anyways, so I, uh, so I call him the next day. Right. And he like calls me back and he kind of, and he actually calls me back. I'm on a date with a girl. And I like ditched the date. I'm like, no way. I was like, <laughs> so, I was like so I'm like, I go into the other room and yeah. he's like, hi, Frank. He's like, I didn't expect you to call me the next day. Like, Jesus. <laughs> and, uh, so he's like, well, let's meet. And, uh, and so I met him, they were building a new Hyundai store on McPhillips. Uh, and I met him over there and this was actually something I really remembered was I parked in the back of the building, right? Cause I didn't want to park up front because like customers or whatever. And I, I just, and there he was, he parked right in the back of the building with me. And I was like, man, like spoke to like what a humble guy he was, you know, like, yeah. And he was like 80 at the time. Yeah. And so we both get out of our cars, like same time we drove up and he's, and I had this 85 red Camaro that I bought and I was, my dad put the deal together and it was pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. so he's like, nice wheels. I was like, Hey, it's for sale. <laughs> yeah. And he just laughs. He's like, yeah. So anyway, so we walk in and, uh, uh, and there was a guy there. His name's Michael uh, Rollick and who's definitely a mentor of mine from that day forward. Um, so I sit down with him and Michael and they're like, so what's, what's your deal? What's your story? This, that. And so we get talking and then they offered me like a job to wash cars. And I was like, Hey, you know what? I'm in, you know, I, I, these two, you know, amazing business leaders mm-hmm. in front of me and I'm like 18. I'm like, yeah, I'm in, you know? So, uh, yeah, they gave me the kind of the tour. And so he's, yeah, he goes, okay, I'll meet you at the Kia store, point West, whatever. And Mm. bring your rubber boots and, uh, we'll see you then. I'm like, okay, all right, let's do it. (laughs) Whatever I got to do. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. And at no point in time was I like, I'm too good to wash cars or like, that's like, you know, below me. I was like, Hey, like the, what an amazing opportunity. Yeah. So yeah. So I started doing that and then basically worked from that into an internship. And then I started selling cars shortly after became, you know, in that summertime when that was a whole nother part of it was just putting crazy time, became the kind of the top sales guy in that store at the time, which ended up being the Hyundai store where I had my first interview. Okay. Yeah. 
And then uh, I transferred to the Chevy store, lit it up, had a great run there, amazing leadership, friends to this day, a lot of the people that were there. Um, And then went into finance, sales manager, GSM. And then Michael actually, over the last year, he moved to this new auto group, Auto Canada. So him and I stayed in touch. And then, uh, you know, like I said, he's kind of been like a mentor. So when some opportunities started coming up, we, we were talking and then it was like, you know, a lot of smaller stores in different cities. And then it was like, hey, man, you know, what about Eastern and uh, and Eastern Chrysler's, you know, it's a bigger store. But I was like, man, it's Winnipeg. You know, I'm connected here. It was just it all made sense and it mm-hmm. worked out. So, yeah. Crazy, right? Yeah. I jumped, I skipped a lot there in the middle. You did. You, you motored right, <laughs> yeah. like you motored fast into I, the end part. I did. I mean, the deal was, I mean, the, the start of it was kind of like, that. that's like a storybook. Like, yeah. how does that even happen? Yeah. And then, um, yeah, I mean, it's kind of a, I mean, there was a lot that went on in between though. Yeah. So how, <laughs> so I want to back up, ask, like dig into a couple parts. So how, because yeah, okay. I... Okay, let me share my experience in the in the car industry. Yeah. Because I jumped around a little bit, but I started working at Waverly Chrysler, yeah. uh, Chrysler Dodge Jeep Ram dealership. And it was around 20, 2012, I think it was around there, and started in sales. Mm-hmm. And then that's where I met your dad, and he was selling cars, and I was selling cars, and he was just like... <laughs> this young kid needs some help. So (laughs) he took me under his wing and he taught me how to sell cars. And your dad is hilarious. (laughs) I just, I just love your dad. He, he, he really taught me a lot about people, communication. I'm sure you've got countless stories and lessons from him. And, and I've, I just, and I, I count my blessings to, to call him a, a good friend because he, he taught me a lot. And so, so I sold cars first. That was my first into the auto world was selling cars. And that was right out of Red River College where I went to business, majored in marketing. And then I was selling cars and I was like, eh, I'm not really using what I went to school for. But I was selling cars on Instagram and I was using Facebook and I was using social media and the car managers at the time didn't understand how that worked. And I was like, well, you know, I take a picture of a car and then I put it on my phone and then it blasts (laughs) to the internet. I was trying to make it really, you know, something that they could grasp. And so they thought, oh, like this kid's pretty good with technology. And the other salesmen were just, you know, sitting around waiting for walk-ins. And I was on my phone trying to get people in because I knew that's how to get people out there. I wasn't going to wait for people that are reading the newspaper or whatever. I need to connect to millennials, our, our generation. So, so that worked for me. And then I left the car industry and then, and then I got pulled back after a short amount of time. And I worked out at, um, I left Waverly, I went to Good Life Fitness, and I worked downtown. I didn't know that. And I worked downtown because I was living down on the waterfront. Right. 
And, uh, and I was just, I was a fitness advisor and I was just, I was selling gym memberships. So it was still sales, but it was going from selling 50, $60,000 vehicles to like 30, 40, $50 a month gym memberships at good life. So for me, I'm like, well, this is the easiest thing to sell ever. Like talking about like overcoming like price or whatever. I'm like, no, no, this is is easy. Yeah. So, (laughs) so I really enjoyed the change of atmosphere working with like young people. It was fun. It was very uh, like youthful. A lot lighter. It was, it was a lot lighter. Not as much like, you know, rah, rah, close the deal, get it done. Yeah. Like it was probably a lot more relaxed. It was. Yeah. But it was more relaxed, but the process that that good life has for fitness advisors, like they have their targets and they have, okay, you need to sign up uh, just for simple numbers, 50 members a month. In order to get 50 members, you need to have, uh, you know, 300 tours. And in order to get 300 tours, you got to make a thousand calls. Right. And so they had it down to a science of like, you need to make X amount of calls to to get X amount of people into the gym, to yeah. get X amount of tours, to get X amount of signups. So that process was broken down and it really was laid out in a methodical, uh, methodical. methodical way. Thank yeah. you. <laughs> so it was, it was good experience for the time that I was there. And yeah. then, but I was still doing selling and I'm like, I don't, I didn't really, selling just wasn't really in me, at least the way that they taught selling. And I was like, I'm more of like, are you, are you comfortable? Is this what you want? Make sure that, you know, I don't want to push somebody into something that they don't want or are going to regret or just that whole very like car salesy kind of tactics. It's, uh, it w- it fought with like my character. Yeah. So anyways, the new car manager at Waverly, um, put my name up to the dealer principal and said, Hey, like so-and-so is retiring. That's managing the website. You should get Dean back and, uh, and see if he'd be interested. So it was actually Wayne Vicker. Wayne Vicker. Wayne Vicker. So yeah. he, he... I got put, a funny story about Wayne after. Yeah, okay. That's so, okay. So he put my name forward and Steve uh, Steve called me back. He was the dealer principal at the time. And uh, he said, hey, you know, so-and-so is retiring. There's this position. Would you be interested in it? And it was the internet sales coordinator. Still had that sales aspect to it, but it was tied to digital. And so now I was doing... I was managing the website, so I got to take photos of the cars, put descriptions, uh, put it up online, and then also create the social media accounts for the dealerships because they didn't have any at the time. They were outsourcing and paying a company to do their social media, but they were also buying likes and fudging the amount of like the stats on their social media and it just doesn't make sense it's like well how does this how does this picture of like a car that's not even on your lot have you know uh you you say you have like five thousand followers on your account but you got one person liking that photo like it didn't make any sense like the analytics didn't line up to the amount of followers that we had so it was all fluff and i'm like get rid of them that's let me just let me do this so anyways created all the social media accounts and long story short i'll I'll tighten this up 
I I did the re- the rest of my time was spent in digital marketing, raising the awareness of uh, the dealerships that I worked at, their presence online, and it was websites and and social media. And uh, I forgot where I was even going with this story. <laughs> what were we talking about? Well, before? we were talking about your story in the car business, where you where you began and, and and how you got into the car business. Oh yes, okay. So the the point I was going to make was. I shifted from sales to being like an internet manager. And so I wanted to ask you, how did you make a shift to being in sales to what was the jump sales manager or did you go into finance? Uh, I did do finance in between and then, yeah. And then I did the, uh, the sales manager, but, um, you know, like I think, I think the thing that's important from the sales perspective that people understand because people say like, you know, like, um, how did you become a sales manager so young and not, not so much experience? And I think like what it comes down to is there's a couple of factors is, um, like I worked, w- one thing I recognized was any, any top producers in any craft were just next level committed. Right. And I was just like, when I got the opportunity to go in sales, I remember it was my first day. And the, the GM was like, you're not ready. And, you know, like you're going to have to shadow and watch these other people and all stuff. And the place was just crazy. It was a Saturday. And a customer was there not being helped. I got that customer. I sold him. I sold her a car first day. And uh, after that, he was like, wow, okay, like, let's go. And I, I legitimately, Dean, like I made like nonstop activity. I was on the phone constantly. And I always had this thing where I was like, took a couple weeks, but I was like, I needed to have three people in front of me every single day I was at the dealership, Mm. no matter what I was like, I'm going to like somehow find a way to get three people at my desk. You might be in there for service. You might be there for parts. You might be a, a legitimate showroom customer, but I was like, I'm getting three people at my desk. And, uh, so I started to kind of find some strides by my fourth month. I sold 17 cars in that month. I never sold less than 10. In, in any given month selling cars. And that's kind of like in the car business, 10 is like, that's, that's a lot. That's deemed like, you know, You're, it's good, right? Yeah. Yeah. Pretty, pretty good. And, uh, you know, so then I did well. And, and then at the Hyundai store, they gave me an opportunity to be part-time sales, which was kind of weird because I was going to university and man, like when I went to university, I was like, I was on all these committees. Um, I ended up making a bunch of good friends started like a, actually a good friend of mine and I, we started like a side car lot. That's a whole nother story. Cause I really had a passion for buying and selling cars. Like I was kind of what, that's where it all started. Yeah. And I, and I really liked that because I mean, you could buy a car, fix it up and make a thousand, 2000 bucks, yeah. maybe more sometimes. Yeah. And I mean, shit that, you know, you sell a car at a dealership, you might only make a couple hundred bucks. Maybe you make more. But it was like, for the same amount of work, I was like, geez, I'm doing pretty good over here. You know? Yeah. My issue was, was the money. Cause I had to pay for my school and I had to pay for all this stuff. And I was like, yeah, how do I put it all together? Yeah. And, uh, so, you know, when I was in university, I met a good friend of mine he was a big farmer and he kind of saw what I was doing. And I, and I ended up getting like a 15 grand line of credit from, from my banker. And, uh, 
that 15 grand to this day, I'd like to actually find that guy and tell him like that was a game changer because that 15 grand to me gave me the ability to buy and sell cars at a whole nother level. Instead of buying $1,000 to $2,000 cars, now I started to buy five and $10,000 cars. Yeah. Instead of making 500 to a thousand, I started to make two to 3000, maybe 4,000. And sometimes it was like, I'd hit guys up on Kijiji. I'd find some rich guy selling his BMW for 12 grand. I'd offer him eight and he'd say, come down and see it. And then I would just sell how shitty it is, even though it was awesome. <laughs> and I'd get it for like nine, you know, and then I'd turn around and sell it for 11, yeah. 12. Yeah. But all in the meanwhile, I was driving a freaking BMW. Yeah. You know, so yeah. this friend of mine saw and he's like, what the fuck? Like, you're always in different cars. Like, what's, what's your deal, man? Like, what, like, yeah, tell me, like, what are you doing? And so, and the thing is MPI, you can only have 11 cars in your name before they like flag you and they'll do like look into you in a calendar year. Yeah. So, I mean, I was putting cars in my dad's name, my sister's name, my name, like everyone's fucking name. Right? Yeah. Yeah. And, um, but you're close circle close circle right because every Very i don't want circle. someone driving away with the car right so yeah. and then i'd yeah. sell it and it was like yeah so and then it got to a point where i was like running out i was doing 11 in my name 11 in my dad's name 11 like everyone was getting to that like slippery slope yeah but i never claimed the taxes back to mpi because i never wanted to be like investigated because it's you know I'm, yeah i'm making money right yeah so anyways i uh uh was kind of doing my own thing and I'm selling cars at the dealership. And I remember like there was a February Dean selling at the dealership. I went in Saturdays, Monday afternoons. We were open till nine. I went till nine. And like a few appointments during the week, I sold 12 cars. So literally I was averaging, averaging like two to three cars every day I was at the dealership. Like mega, mega, like my cell phone, man. Yeah. Holy fuck. Like I'd be at university and I would like find a desk and I'd have a call list and I would for like, literally I'd segment like one hour and I'd be like, I'm going to make a hundred phone calls and I would just hammer, hammer, hammer book appointments. And I always booked it. People like, no, I can't, you know, I can't make it Saturday. I'd be like, you know what? It has to be Saturday. That's when their best deals are. Like you have to make it on Saturday because that's the only day I could do it. Yeah. Or it's like, okay, I can do Monday evening. No, I can't do Monday. I'm like, okay, so it's got to be next Saturday. Right, because my school schedule, I couldn't do it. So you're going to school full time, Monday to Friday. Five courses, yeah. And then you were selling cars on full time, but you were at the dealership. You were at the yeah. dealership, and only on Saturdays. Saturdays and Monday afternoons. Saturdays and Monday afternoons till nine p.m. Got it. So yeah, you had to book those appointments. Yeah. At uh, at that time frame, Saturday or or yeah, Monday and then afternoon. I might, I, and it was it was like an hour drive from the university. So like if I booked an appointment on a Wednesday and I drove an hour to get there, I'm like, you're buying this car. Yeah. Like I drove an hour. Like I got studying to do, like my selling shoes are on. Like I'm going to know my shit on this deal. Yeah. So I, I really, really put in like tons of time to make sure that like my appointments were like 100% confirmed. Like no one skipped my appointments. So I was really big on that. And then, uh, I was really big. Like it, it really taught me the foundation of like, cold calling and like turning an opportunity in like from nothing into something. And I wasn't at the dealership to take the walk-ins or to take the people calling in. I literally had to cultivate my own. So who, so if you were to be like, okay, I'm going to call a hundred people. Yeah. Who, who are you calling? 
Was uh, it, mostly service a, customers. Okay, so you got a yeah. list from service customers, yeah, service. and it was always people that like I knew it was used cars we wanted, and yeah. I was like, hey, you know what? Uh, I noticed you had your you know your 2013 Santa Fe into our service department. Well, I guess at that time it would have been like 2009 Santa Fe <laughs> yeah. uh, in in service lately, and I just was interested if you know would you be interested in selling it? I wouldn't even talk about a sale. I still do it to this day. And people would be like, ah, what are you talking about? I wouldn't even talk about a sale. I'd be like, hey, you know, like, you know, if we could pay you enough for it, would you sell it? Well, I don't know. Like, what could you pay? You know, and I'm not sure, but it's something that I know we could use on our car lot. Are you free on Saturday if we could maybe just have a look at it? I literally wouldn't even talk about, like, it's a sale. We got 0%. We got this. I was zero, nothing. It was all about them. And I would book, like, five, six appointments. And then all of a sudden, I'd be like, just buzzing on Saturday. They'd be like, where is, what's this kid doing? Yeah. Where are these people coming yeah, from? And it was all about, so I'd get them in front of me. I'd be like, absolutely. We'll get the appraisal going. And then I'd be like, okay, so, you know, you're interested in selling if the money made sense. So what is it that you're not liking about your car? Well, no, I do like my car. Well, but then why'd you come down here? Well, I'm just curious what I get. Okay. So if we can pay enough, then what would you want to get into? Right. So that, well, I would get a new one if you pay me enough. Okay. What are the features you're looking for? And now I'm selling a car. Yeah. And, and then it was like, okay, you know what? While we're waiting for the appraisal, let's test drive one. Yeah. And all of a sudden things just started coming together. Yeah. So it was kind of this like hidden little strategy I had, but, um, all in the meanwhile, I was buying and selling cars. So this friend of mine in university was always like, we were just really close buddies. A lot yeah. of the same courses. And he's like, Hey, you know what? What if I paid and we went partners and we'll just split it. And you know, I got, we got the big farm and we got the money and whatever, and let's just do it big. And I'll be like your steroids. I remember him saying that I'll be like your steroids and we'll split it. <laughs> and I was like, I was like, okay, farmer Joe. Yeah, no, I was like, you know, like, Hey, you know what? This is kind of cool. Like maybe instead of selling one car a month, I could do like two or three, even though we're splitting it, you know, maybe if I'm doing you know, a few more cars, I'll end up further ahead and Hey, let's, let's give this a go. And he had more access to money, right? Right. So you had your 15 K limit, right? But then partner up with someone else and you had more money. Right. It was kind of like, yeah, like up to like 50 grand. Yeah. So it was kind of a game changer. So then we went through the steps of like getting bonded as a used car dealer, found a place to rent an Oak bluff, you know, little used car lot. And we fixed it up, painted it, did all this kind of stuff, really kind of had a business plan. And then we, we kind of just went at it and, uh, and then we brought a third guy in and that was a good buddy of mine that kind of went sideways. Then so he went out and it was just the two of us and he was constantly just like, oh man, he was just, the cars are always beat up and like, oh, it was just, we, anytime we wanted to show it, he just couldn't. And so we couldn't do it. So then it was just him and I, and, uh, so literally man, like this is the schedule I would be at university and then I'd like go to McPhillips for my appointments. And then when I wasn't there, I would like go to the dealership, clean cars in the evenings. Cause you I are your dealership, our dealership cars. Cause yeah, we had, you know, five, six up to 10 at a time sometimes Yeah, clean them. Cause he didn't do anything. His deal was I'll give you the money. You do the work and you do the work. Now he helped like getting cars and transporting, showing cars from time to time. But you know, a, a lot of it was on me and that was fine. That was the agreement. Yeah. 
But yeah, so then we'd buy a car and have to transport it from here to the detail place, then to the safety place, and then, you know, to the body shop place. And so like literally always on the go, everything had to be planned perfectly. So then it would be like university, you know, car lot, back to McPhillips, back to university. Like in those times I was sleeping like legit four hours a night, maybe. Like I I remember there was a time I had three... Uh, exams in uh, in 48 hours one in the morning one in the evening one the next morning yeah so I literally stayed up all night the night before to study for my morning one did it did my next one stayed up all night then did my morning one so it was like out of control yeah because I just couldn't I had to cram I just had so much going on I couldn't do it So I literally hustled like just next level crazy. And then like every waking hour was work. And um, I remember like I lost like man 20, 30 pounds. My mom thought I was like, she's like, are you okay? Like you're like looking like sick. And I was like, I'd skip lunch, skip breakfast. Like I was just go, 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 go. Eat one meal a, a oh, day yeah. like and just binge the dinner. Waff it down. Yeah, exactly. Like just back <clears throat> into the books and study and whatever. But uh, yeah, so the used car lot on the side was like my little my little secret, and I, I just we hustled hard on that thing, and we we would like literally go to the auction, and we're like, keep in mind, man, like we're like nineteen twenty. Yeah, we'd go and like everyone at this auction was like in their forties and fifties. And like, it was just hilarious. Cause there we are. And like, and then my, my used car manager from like the Hyundai store was there oh, and all these like yeah, yeah. people. And yeah. Cause like, you're in the industry. Yeah, so I had to well. like wear my hat and I'm like, well, fuck, I don't want him to see me. Right. <laughs> it was bad. Yeah. So anyways, but we, yeah, so we'd go and then, um, man, we made some mistakes. So I had like bid on a car and I thought it was one car. It was a different car and it was like smashed. And oh man, we made some so, so bad mistakes. So we made some money. We lost some money. It was like a really good venture. But, um, you know, I, I think when I look back, um, I wouldn't trade it for the world. I mean, yeah, we put in tons of work, um, but we had our own small business. It was, I mean, it was, and the funniest thing about it was we didn't want to spend the money to reincorporate a business name. So Mitch already had a name called King of Spades Tree Moving. So he used to move trees with a tree spade. Oh, yeah. That, okay. was, that was another business he had. Yeah. This guy's crazy. Like, he's incredibly smart. He's doing his PhD right now. Like, this guy's, like, incredible, right? But he had this tree spade, and he was always doing landscaping. So because we didn't want to reincorporate, we just called it King of Spades Tree Moving Car Lot. <laughs> so we just called it KOS Auto for short. Okay. So, yeah, but yeah. when we bid on cars at the auction, they're like, King of Spades tree moving gets this car. King <laughs> of Spades tree moving. And like, oh man, it was. Uh, <laughs> yeah, so, they weren't going to shorten it. Right? No, no. Yeah. So, yeah, so we saved the uh, 1500 bucks or 1000 bucks to change the name. And so, but people would come to the car lot and they're like, who do I write the check to? I'd be like, ah, King of Spades. And I would just leave it there. I wouldn't say the tree moving because it's too weird. And they'd be like, King of Spades. And they'd be like, what, am I rolling the dice on this deal or what? Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, so. Um, but, but, yeah. when you, but when you, uh, because you were incorporated or you had, you had a business name, you yeah. were able to go past that 
10 a month. Yes, exactly. Because you're not under your name. You're you're a certified dealer. We became a certified dealer. So we could go to like dealer auctions and we were a legitimate dealership. I mean, we had, we, I I got to a point where we could sell like warranties on cars. We Mm. we set up the financing for cars. Like it was a legitimate thing. But it was just the two of you, right? So you would sell the car and then you would sell any, um, service warranties or warranty and everything. yeah all Finance that stuff and, and then it kind of opened the whole game up because then not only we're we making money on the car but now we're making money on a warranty and the financing and so it's just the whole thing kind of started to do better and don't get me wrong we you know took our licks too you know yeah but yeah but it was good so um actually how that all came to an end was i was selling cars like crazy uh at you know at birchwood and part-time and university and just everything was nuts and I would like man I I would like take summer courses too so in the summer I would like leave work go to like my summer course in the evening and then study till like one or two in the morning get up go to work like study that evening do my projects at night like literally every waking hour was work yeah and uh and then it got to a point, so then I went to the Chevy store, because they were just selling like two, three hundred cars a month. It was just crazy. And I actually, at the time, I at the Hyundai store, I was just kind of feeling like there was just some, uh, I was ready for a change. You know, yeah. I was just, there was a couple of things I disagreed with the managers on. I was just kind of like, ah, you know, I'm ready for something bigger. So I went to the Chev store to sell, because they were like the pinnacle store at the time. And I remember I went there and the GSM at the time who I really, I hang out with all the time. His name's Riley Saunders. The guy is just amazing. And, uh, so he says to me, uh, so do you think you can sell 20 cars? I was like, 100%. I said it like with the most confidence. And he's like, so do you think in the next four months? Cause it was summer. I was full time, not part time. Are you going to sell me 20 cars in a month? And I said, I guarantee you I will. And then he's like, puts his hand on. He's like, you're hired. So Actually, um, first couple months, 12, 15 cars. And then the third month, uh, they brought this Corvette in. It was like the brand new redesigned Corvette. Mm-hmm. And, uh, was it the redesigned one? Yeah, the redesigned. So, like, they weren't even in Canada yet. Oh, okay. Even, and the GM was like just this crazy personality. He was amazing. I still in touch with them today all the time. And he brings this thing, thing in from the U.S. And it was, like, unreal, right? Yeah. Looks like a Ferrari. Yeah, I remember when I first saw one, and I was like, what is that? That's an amazing, like, that's... Oh, yeah. I don't usually use words like, like, that's a sexy vehicle. Like, I'm not that guy. But I looked at that car when it, it came out, and I'm insane. like, that's a sexy car. Oh, and at that time... That is a like, sexy car. It was, like, a big <clears throat> fucking deal, this car. Yeah. And, uh... Anyways, so we, he gets this car and I, I'm like in awe, right? And so I go to him and I'm like, tell you what, I was like, if I sell you 20 cars this month, you give me that car for the weekend. Okay. I don't even know what dawned on me to say this, but this is what happened. And he's like, <laughs> the car made you say it. Yeah. And so he goes, <laughs> so he goes to me and he's like, I'll make, I'll do it. I'll make that offer. Right. And keep in mind, I'd only been there like a couple months, right? Most people to sell that amount of cars, like. You got to be there for years, get referrals, get like lots of, cause that's like, if you're going to sell 20, you really have to sell like 30 because you're going to have people cancel. You're going to have deals not get approved. You're going to have things just go sideways. Yeah. And people like you only have 
20, uh, what would you, how 20, many business days would you have in a, in a month too? Well, like, I mean, if you're taking your days off, I mean, say 23, 24, but like right. I worked it's, all my it's, days off. But it's one a day. Oh shit. Yeah. Like at least one to two a day for sure. One to two yeah. a day at least in yeah. a month. To, to pull it off. Cause you're going to have yeah. deals go sideways. So then anyway, so, so I, that month just was lighting it up. And then the top guy who was like top guy in the Birchwood group, like mm. straight up car guy, like unreal. Uh, I was beating him for most of the month mm. and my GM comes to me and he goes, if you beat, uh, Paul. Yeah. And he's like, if you beat him, he's like, I'll give you $2,000 cash. And I'm like, fuck. I'm like, <laughs> so I got like this Corvette on the line. I got this money and I'm like, oh man, like this is crazy. Neck and neck right to the end of the month, neck and neck, neck and neck. And man, he beats me. He beats me right at the end. But I sold like 22 cars. The part of the story that people don't know is I also sold six cars from our used car lot that month on like Sundays and shit. Cause car lots are closed on Sundays. Oh, your own car, my lot. own car lot. So we sold six there and, and I did like 22 there. So it was like, man, I'll tell you what. And I was doing summer courses. Oh my God. Yeah. It was just like, man, I, I get tired even thinking about it. So, but then I got the Corvette, I got this Corvette for a weekend and, uh, man, it was like, so awesome. I remember just like, I remember just like being so happy. And anyways, um, the Chevy store, like those were amazing days. And I came, became really close with that GM and that whole team at that time. Mm -hmm. And the GSM, this guy, Riley Saunders, who's honestly, man, he's got long hair. He looks like he even calls himself a hippie, very free spirited. He, all he does now is music and stuff. But like at that time he was like, this just amazingly positive, motivational, like game changer in my life. Mm-hmm. And, uh, so I like always stayed close with him and that whole team was just so amazing. So I ended up actually taking some time off the car business. Cause after that summer I worked part-time for a while, but then I was legitimately Dean. I was like burnt out. Like, I don't know okay. if you've ever reached that point, like where you're just like, yeah, but for me, it was in Australia, and I'll go on a segue okay, there, okay. but, uh, and I want to just hit pause for one sec. So talking about 10 cars a month, uh, when I started selling my first month, I didn't have any sales experience. I didn't have a clue. I was just good at talking to people. Right. And so I'm like, okay, I'm just going to talk to people. So the first month of me starting totally green don't know any I don't know anything about cars like I was not brought up in a car family like yeah I never knew how to do anything like motor <laughs> I don't know the parts I of remember, a motor I remember you were my dad asked you to like what's the size of the tires <laughs> and you're like I don't know yeah they're, they're I like had no clue pretty big I guess <laughs> And he's like, no, the numbers on the side. Yeah. And I didn't know how to read the, like, yeah, you're like, well, I don't know, man, green, green, green. Yeah. So, oh my God, your dad probably looked at me like this kid needs help. Oh, yeah. So anyways, the first, the first month of me selling cars, I sold 10, Yeah, but I had to split 
a number of deals. So when you split a deal, it was only like a, it was half, right? right. So it, it only counted as seven full vehicles. Mm. And then the rest was uh, half deals that I split. And honestly, I think the, the other half deals were with your dad. <laughs> and I was able, I was good at just doing the intro and yeah. okay, what up. do you want to do? Uh, or what do you want? Okay, let's take it on a test drive. Okay. And then the closing part was not my strong part. And then your dad would just see me struggle. He would, he'd just come in or I'd pull him in and then he would close the deal. But I always sat next to him and then I listened to how he would do it. And yeah. I learned a lot of just closing strategies from, from your dad. But, oh, yeah. and then, uh, the second and third month, I can't remember what I did. It wasn't close to 10, but my, my motivation just went whew, like yeah. and, and just the it's roller coaster. It's such a mental game. It is, and the roller coaster of okay, you just like achieved a, like a great month, and then it's just like boop, Start you just over. hit restart, and then you're everyone's at zero, and then you got to do it again. I know, and then it does you got to do it again, it's like, and then you got to do it again. That's unbelievable. Yeah, I know it's insane. You know, to me, it's always like I've used the analogy like the car business or really sales in general. It's kind of like sports, right? Because I can't. I, I grew up playing hockey and stuff, and it was like, so no matter how good that hockey game was, we might have just killed it, right? Just annihilated that game. But then it's like, you know, the next game, that game didn't matter, right? And it's like lace up, it's go time, guys. Like that game, hey, that's ancient history. Yeah, that's it's, in the past, right? And like you might have a period, you might have a, a week in your month that's like. It's a disaster, just like in a hockey game. Your first period of that game might be a complete disaster. But then the second week or the second period of that game could be epic. So it's this constant like roller coaster ride and you got to like constantly rise above like if you're falling into a slump or things aren't working out or man, I can't tell you how many times like people be like, yeah, I just got to think about it. Like I'll see you in the morning. Oh, all the no's that you get for Oh yeah. Yes. And then they don't show up and it's like, oh yeah, that's, that's great. Yeah. And it's like, you know. The average person nowadays visits 1.3 dealerships. So I, I always tell like our team, I'm like, hey, you know, if if you don't sell a car to that customer, statistically speaking, it's over. You know, the, the next door they go to, they're buying. Statistically. Yeah. Never mind you or like you might have been done a great job, but clearly, you know, it's something didn't go right. Yeah. And people yeah. come in educated. People come in nowadays with computers and stuff like they know what they want typically it's like they're pretty dialed in it's yeah. just like you know build the value and give them a good experience you know and, and normally it can work out but um from closing like man there's so many good closing techniques like yeah you know like some like big ones that i always talk about is like coaching people into the close right so like let's say you get somebody you serve them a number right you know, somebody might say, and this works for a lot of things. I do it with my girlfriend all the time. If she's listening, I think this is funny, but like, um, <laughs> but like, so you ask somebody like, okay, so here's the numbers. Here's what it's at. You know, somebody might say to you, oh man, like, you know, maybe it's 250 biweekly. Well, I was really hoping to be like 220 biweekly, you know, and then you would just say, okay, so what you're saying is right. What you're saying is if I understand you correctly at 220 biweekly, we would have a deal right now and you'd buy this vehicle. Now you didn't say that, but I'm coaching you into a commitment. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I would. Now, and then my immediate re response would be like, okay, I don't know if I can do that, 
but let me go try right now. You're now, but they've mentally committed to themselves that they're open to buying. And that's such a big, it's a big leap. It's a big leap in the car business. If you get people mentally committed to the idea of buying, they want to buy. Mm -hmm. It's so like, and I've had people that I hired that were in like the finance business, real estate business, stuff like that. And the one, the takeaways that they've all had that they've told me is like, man, I've realized like the car business, like what I've learned is like the power of like now and getting people committed to the idea of now. Yeah. So questions I ask often is like, well, no, no, we're just looking, just looking. Yeah, yeah. I'm like, okay, are you weeks, months or days away? Every single person always says weeks, like always. Yeah. Cause if they say months, I'm like months, oh, like okay, well that could be next model year. Like I, you know, we can look, but like, you know, but most people be like weeks. So I'm like, okay, no, that's all good. You can definitely do that. But we are coming to the end of the quarter. It is also the end of the month and uh, programs can always change. I know model year, we're starting to run out of the 18s. The inventory is getting slim. So the, the deals are really good right now. If you do wait weeks, we might be out of those 18s. So, you know, you can wait, wait, wait weeks, but if you want to see numbers today, maybe it can make sense for you. Right. So now you just use these things to try to coach them into now. And you also know, too, the way that buyers shop now. And I dove into analytics big time because that was part of my job. And this shift from traditional to digital was huge in the little amount of time that I was in the industry. But I I was getting those stats right away. And Mm -hmm. I was like, yeah, one one point three dealerships is mm-hmm. so basically one dealership oh yeah exactly and if they as have a shit experience they're right? just going to go to the same <clears throat> if they landed on a vehicle they're going to find that vehicle at a second place and have that backup probably set already in their in their mind but right. they're yeah so when you ask them like weeks they've already done their homework nine times out of ten they know what they want and they they are an informed customer and they just want to have a good experience. So that's a good, that's a good strategy. And and, you know, like nowadays, like, so this month we'll see like a hundred people walk through the doors and like talk to our salespeople. We'll have about a hundred people, well, maybe like 200 people uh, call in on a vehicle that they saw online or something. Yeah. But we'll get like 400 people that engage in like online emails and chats. hundred percent. So what's interesting is five years ago, it was like almost the other way around. It was showrooms, then phones, then internet was kind of like a little bit there. Yeah. So the business is really shifting to this digital. That's where people start. They're very informed. They're very educated. Now it's not an information center. It's an experience center. Right. So when I got there, some of the first things I talked about was like, tell me the history about Jeep. When was Jeep founded? What does it mean to be a Jeep owner? Right? Tell me about what you can, what can you do in that Jeep that you can't do in a Ford? Right? And everyone's like looking at me like, man, like, what are you talking about? But I'm like, I don't want to hear about 40% off. I don't want to hear about 0%. Tell me, build the value. Right? When you go to buy, when you go to a Ritz Carlton, they're not, they're never talking about the price of the hotel. Yeah. They're talking about, you know, their amazing catering or, or room service and their, you know, the pool and the spa and the, you know, all the rest of it. All but, the amenities that are yeah. going to add to the experience. Exactly. So, yeah. and that's, that's a big game changer for us. And I mean, at the dealership, you know, that I'm at now, like we're, we tripled our new car numbers last month, year over year. And like, 
that a big part of doing that was like, you know, not, we didn't necessarily change the whole sales team, but we changed a lot. You know, we really focused on our process, you know, process, 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 and really dialed into what does it mean to sell a, you know, what is selling a car? What's the stages? What's the word tracks and all that good stuff. And so, and talking about word tracks and why I think you're so good at it, because when I was, I was with your dad, he'd be like, Hey, let's role play. Like out of nowhere, like I'm having lunch or whatever. He'd like sit down and be like, Hey, let's role play. So tell me, uh, tell me, you know, an objection or whatever. And then, and then we would just go through it and he would just always, and half the time I thought he was kidding, but he was serious and he was always role playing objections. And then at the dinner table, it was crazy. Yeah. My sisters would be like, Hey, you guys, we get it like enough. Yeah, yeah, straight up. I was like a young kid. Yeah, yeah. So that tra- that training is, yeah, going back years. Yeah. But uh, I get it. And then I would see him do the same thing with you when, when he, and, and I would hear trickles of like stories of like, you know, what you were up to and, and this and that. And Frank's now at this dealership and that one and everything. Yeah. He always was so proud and would share <laughs> share a story and yeah. and uh whenever he could it was so good but that uh that's so important and i think they don't teach that at the dealership either like when you're hired on as uh sales you like i watched like a video in an office of how to sell cars yeah and then i was put onto the floor man straight up isn't that crazy was that's like, how what? most dealerships are what, what I, kind of train yeah, is this when like i started role playing is way most, way more effective man most sales places most sales never mind cars just sales in general it's like like it's like learn as you go it's crazy it, it was man. it was a hundred percent and and riley saunders the guy i talked about at the chevy store yeah. he had this like keys to success and sales process and he had this whole like binder of stuff Mm. And I was like, man, like compared to Hyundai, Hyundai's like, there's your desk, like go figure it out. Yeah. This guy like sat down with me, went over this stuff. And I was like, to this day, Dean, I have all of those papers and every salesperson that comes like and, and starts with me, I go over it. Keys to success, sales process. It's the identical thing. And I actually, we went for lunch and I told him, I'm like, I actually put his name at the bottom. I'm like, R Saunders. <laughs> The last thing in his keys to success, it says in this business, you choose to be successful, dot, 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 or not. And then I, and then I put R Saunders, right? And that's kind of like my tribute to him. But yeah, um, I love that at the Chevy store, you know, to kind of go back, what was that all about? You know, sales to sales manager, right? That was the, that was, I think because I did those, that 20 car month and because I gain the respect of the GM and the salespeople and just really immerse myself in that team. I took some time off, but when, and then I transitioned into the finance side, uh, I did like subprime financing, like challenge credit financing. And it was a new division in Birchwood and did that for about six months. And explain what subprime is just for people. That, so that's that like don't people know. say you go into a dealership, you don't get approved, right. Um, for like a, you know, the 0% or the, or low 4.99 or 5.9, the low rate stuff, then, okay, it gets turned over to, to subprime or non-prime or special finance. There's all these words for it, but ultimately what it is, is it's kind of the bad credit division. Yeah. Different credit. lenders, different financers. So maybe it's 8.99, 9.99, maybe even higher, you yeah. know? Yeah. Um, and it, and it goes pretty high to be honest, right? Yeah. I've heard of some 
like over 20 like it was yeah. like a credit card it, oh it does basically. yeah i mean it, it it does and i mean i think like any business you can be ethical or unethical Birchwood was very ethical with it i mean we didn't really we always tried to you know keep it where you weren't putting these people in like long-term loans that they'll never get out of it was like tight terms just get your credit fixed up make a couple years of payments and then let's flip you into a low rate car so explain just the process for people that have bad credit that want to turn it around, how you could do that with getting a car a loan. V- yeah, with a car yeah, loan. Yeah, so it's a good question. So basically with credit, you have installment loans or you have like open-ended loans. Now, open-ended loans would be like, you know, like a credit card, a line of credit. It doesn't really build credit very well because there's no like fixed payments. Whereas an installment loan really helps build your credit up because it's fixed payments. It shows that you can actually make consistent you know, yeah fulfill an obligation in that so a car loan where it's good is it's an installment loan it's fixed payments and uh and if you can show you know fixed payments on time uh you know for a year two years it can really boost your credit up and especially with like you know auto lenders and stuff where they'll with a, a good solid payment history you can flip into like a low rate car quite easily after a year or two yeah. And, uh, and then, you know, and then, uh, and then fix your credit essentially and get into a better place. Yeah. The hard part is, is when you screw up your credit, no one will really lend you money other than these, you know, subprime banks. Yeah. Right. Cause it's like some people need a vehicle to, to, to live their life. And so people would say like, man, like, you know, but it's like, no, and the way I always justified it, I'm like, look, I didn't, I never put anyone in those situations. All I can try to do is coach them into how to fix their problem. You know, whether they had a divorce or they had an unfortunate circumstance, whatever it was, I'll yeah. tell you how to get yourself out of that pickle. Yeah. And how here's the best way to buy a vehicle, and here's your best long term kind of roadmap of yeah. how to get out of your mess. Yeah. And it was tough. What I found in that business, man, was like it was hard because I had to like, I almost felt like a therapist because I was like listening to everyone's problems, right? Like how their credit went sideways. It was divorces. It was deaths in families. It was all this kind of stuff. And I'm like, man, like I just, I just, you know, I liked the, the art of the cell, you know, I wasn't like, I was like, man, like I, I just sit there and listen to a lot of these issues, heavy stories. And it was hard because, you know, they want you to kind of open up about you know yourself like that's just a conversation right and I'm like oh man it was just getting kind of deep and heavy every day and yeah so but it was good I mean we we it was a great team a great you know great group of people and but then you know it really got to a point man where I I was like you know what I don't know what I want to do when I graduate I was getting close to graduation at this time three years selling cars now, you know, six months in the finance side and I'm like, okay, like I'm almost at four years. I'm just about done my, my university degree. So I took that last term off and I was always like B's, you know, maybe the odd A, maybe a C plus kind of in the middle of the road. Mm-hmm. That last term man, I took off, I was like, I'm just going head down into school, you know? So you and, took the term off from work. Yeah. Uh, and just took all work off and then just focused, focused on, school. on school. Yeah. Yeah. Did a bunch of committees and did some school trips and a lot of stuff that I kind of neglected. And uh, we, we still had like, 
uh, a couple little things on the side, but the car business was done. I'll explain how that happened. Yeah. But, um, like the car lot, I mean, we, yeah, yeah. we had ended it. Um, but yeah, I just did school and man, that term, I got like straight A's, A's and A pluses. And it proved to me like, man, if you can focus on one thing, you can, you like, I used to think like, man, I'm just not as smart as like those Chinese guys, or I'm just not as smart as like some of those other people. Yeah. So like, that'll just never be me. But when I solely focused on just one thing, it worked. Yeah. So it was a good learning lesson, but the car business actually how it ended when, when I was with subprime, I was still doing the car lot. And, um, what ended up happening was, uh, I sold a Jeep Wrangler to a guy, maybe his, him and his son are listening. Um, I sold a Jeep Wrangler to him and I took a deposit $500 to secure the deal. And the kid needed to get financing. And so it was for the kid for the son. Yeah. For the son. Yeah. And they negotiated, man, they negotiated, they got a great deal for themselves. So like way to go. Yeah. And I was like losing money on this Jeep, which I shouldn't have been, but I was like, whatever. So anyways, I, uh, I sell him the car and I'm like, okay, how long do you need to get financing? About a week. I'm like, okay. So in one week, if you can't get the financing, then you know, I'll refund your deposit and you can, you know, find a different car for yourself. So Cars stays on Kijiji. I'm university, you know, university subprime, whatever. And, uh, anyways, uh, I get another call on it. The guy comes down he's like, I'll buy it for full price. And he's just pumped. He like wrote off his car. I'm like, uh, so I'm like, okay, let's go. So I go show him and this is on like the sixth day. So I'm like strategizing my head, like, okay, like what's going to happen here? And is this for your, the KOS? Car lot. Yeah. KOS, KOS, King of okay. Spades there. Yeah. yeah okay. Um, so we make a deal, handshake deal, and he wants to buy warranty and all this stuff. And I'm like, man, like, okay, you know, from a deal, I'm losing money. I'm actually like able to make a little bit of money here. So I tell the guy, listen, I got another deal on it, but let me just get back to you. So now on the seventh day, I'm like, you know, it's been seven days. So I message the guy and I'm like, Hey, you know, I haven't heard back from you. It's been seven days. So I'm going to send you back your deposit and uh, we can go our separate ways. So now gray area, cause it was the seventh day. I gave him seven days. And he goes, well, you know what? My son couldn't get finance, but I'm just going to lend him the cash. So now here becomes a hard decision. Yeah. What do you do? So this was a moment that, you know, I, I regret in hindsight, but it was meant to happen because it at one, one way or another, I had to end this dealership because I, I I knew I was going to go the corporate route. I took, I went with the guy who was going to pay full price. I'm like, you know what, actually, um, I've made another deal. You know, it is the seventh day and the guy freaked, he Mm. freaked out. He's like, this is for my son and da, 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 da. I'm like, I know, but like, Hey, it's been seven days. And you know, that was the agreement. He's like, it is still the seventh day. And so, yeah. So anyways, I go with this deal. Two days later, I get a letter head office Birchwood that says, uh, this guy was representing Birchwood selling at a used car lot on and on and on. He's a liar. He's this, he's that blah, blah, blah. Oh shit. Right. Yeah. So oh. then the pret, so Michael guy who I talked about, he was like running Birchwood. He calls me up. He's like, what the fuck is this? And he's like, 
what's going on, man? I'm like, wow, it's like my friend's car a lot and I'm helping him. And like, we're, you know, we're working together. He's <laughs> trying like, to dig out of this I'm just hole. like, I'm scrambling. I'm like, oh yeah. man. And of course I get the email. I just read it and my phone's ringing. So I don't even have time to like gather my thoughts. I'm like, what am I going to do? So anyways, he, uh, yeah, he says to me, well, you got one of two options. You can either work for Birchwood or you can have your own used car lot. There's no wrong answer. You'll do well in either, but you can't do both. I was like, okay. And he's like, how many cars online have your phone number on it right now? And that's a question at the guy like that. He knows the answer to it. And I'm like, ah, like five. He's like, yeah, I suggest you take those down right now. So actually, so then I was in panic mode. I drove to Grand Forks at the time. The exchange rate with the U S was like crazy difference, like 30% like out of nowhere. Yeah. Well, I shouldn't say out of nowhere. Like it just happened. It was, a, it was a relatively difference. quickly. Right. Yeah. So I went down there and I, I met with the big Chevy dealer down there. I'm like, Hey, I got five vehicles, this truck, the da, 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 da. Yeah. And, uh, this so, is in Grand Forks or yeah. 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 Grand Forks. Drove down there, uh, made a deal, sold off when we sold off the vehicles, uh, sold a couple here in, you know, in Canada, just did it, got the deals done. Yeah. Sold out. And then Mitch and I basically just said, okay, we're done. We're, yeah. And that was it. Just like that. That was it. And so you needed that to happen though. We like needed said, it. Right. Needed so I'm happen. grateful that it, you know, <clears throat> but yeah, so it was all part of the, you know, the story. And so, yeah. Yeah. And so long story short, I took some time off. I went to Brazil, went to Peru, traveled, spent a bunch of money, graduated my university. I was actually the, uh, uh, um, speaker at my grad and, you know, just a uh, Val Victorian. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. So oh, did all that. And I, I ended up doing, um, uh, uh, kind of some thinking of, okay, what's the next step mm. when I went on my trip and mm. the GSM that Riley Saunders was now at the Nissan store, but the Chevy store was really struggling from once it was this big mega thing. Right. And, uh, so I was going to go to Riley and be the sales manager there and follow him at Nissan. But then Michael's like, no, we need help at this. We want you at Chevy, right? So then I was like, you know, it actually kind of maybe makes more sense because I know the salespeople. I know the team. I had the respect of everybody. And I've got to remember at this time, I'm 21 years old. Yeah. Right. So I'm like, and I had braces, you know, because I like knocked a tooth out playing squash and I need braces. (laughs) So I'm like, I look really young. Yeah. And I'm like, okay you know what? Let's do it. And, uh, so I go to the chef store and, uh, and then, you know, I just immediately started like running the meetings, sales training, like just, so you got brought on, sorry, as the GSM sales manager, Oh, sales manager. manager, Yeah. So I was just like desking manager, helping doing deals, close deals, stuff like that. Yeah. And, um, yeah. And then, uh, we had a shit ton experience up to that point where you had finance, you had subprime under your belt as well, which that's a totally other game because there's finance managers that stay doing prime right their whole career. Right. Right. But what it, what it allowed to was like an opportunity to basically, um, with finance managers know like, you know, is a deal going to get approved? You know, what, what are the banks looking for to give an approval? Like I was a lot more educated in that field than yeah. most. Cause I had that time. Yeah. 
Um, and then, yeah, so I ended up just really grabbing onto that and, um, and then immediately, man, I, I, I don't even know. It just was like, I think it was just, we just started lighting it up and the GSM at the time, Chris Nickel, who I like went to his wedding and he's just another amazing guy. Him, Riley Saunders and Chris Nickel were like my guys, you know, when I was selling at Chevy and, uh, we made a great team and we just started just lighting it up. And then all of a sudden just started seeing the growth and up 10%, up 20%, up 30%, just big wins. And then after six months, next door neighbors, the Jaguar Land Rover store had a general sales manager, a, a, a job posting, which was now to oversee the whole department, smaller dealership, luxury, but general sales manager. And I thought, Hey, you know what? Like, Hmm. It's another so, step up. Right. Yeah. Another step up, small store, luxury, never worked in luxury, but I was like, Hey, you know, maybe that's something kind of neat. And it only been six months. So I was like, ah, maybe not. What am I? So sure enough, phone rings. It's Michael Rollick. And he goes, Hey, uh, did you see that posting? I'm like, yeah, I did. He's like, did you think about applying? And I was like, kinda. He's like, well, maybe you should. And so I'm like, <laughs> okay. So I applied and I did the interview and everything like that. And yeah. Anyways, after, I guess it was a little more than six, I think it was like seven or eight months at Chevy. Uh, I got the job as GSM and, um, so you went six, but six, seven months as a sales, sales manager, manager to a jump to a GSM. Yeah. And I mean, as a sales manager, probably one of the big differentiators for me, man, was like, I knew I was young and I knew I kind of had like this expectation that maybe it was too soon and maybe I wasn't ready and maybe, so I like literally, I would like be the first to arrive, last to leave every day, like Mondays and Tuesdays. And I've never changed the schedule. I was there nine to nine. And then I was there nine to seven, nine to eight every other day, six days. Like, so nine to nine, nine to nine, you know, nine to seven or eight every day, Saturdays included Sundays off, never changed that schedule, literally nonstop. And, uh, yeah, as a sales like even, even just like as a salesman, you work uh, probably less than sales yeah. managers. Sales managers do work more in like hours in a week, but yeah. even just say, like in sales, the hours are crazy. And oh yeah, then like, you bump up to management positions, and like the time commitment goes oh, up. Man. So I remember, yeah. Dean. I remember. I was washing cars at like minimum wage and then I went to selling cars and I remember talking to Michael and I made like, I want to say like 25 grand my first summer full time. And then the following summer when I, you know, I went to the Chevy store, the Chevy store, Michael's like, you know, you should try to make like 40 grand this summer. And I was like, man, that'd be pretty crazy. You know? (laughs) That'd be nice for a summer. People don't make that like over 12 months. So yeah. And and so I was doing like 12, 15, 22, and then I did like 18 or something and I made over 40 grand in four months. And I was like, man, like this is crazy. Like this business is crazy. Like you work hard, but I was like, man, you can do well, Mm -hmm. you know? And if you hit all your bonuses and you hit all this, like, man, it was great. So I was Mm -hmm. like, Shit, this is crazy. So anyways, yeah. And then when I went to the Jaguar store, um, I mean, again, I was this young guy in this luxury store dealing with lawyers and dealing with the, you know, 
these business owners and like, who's this 22 year old punk, right? Like as a general sales manager, yeah, running this department, like who the hell are you? Right. Yeah. And I know that's for sure what people thought, but I was like, once they'd hear me speak, everyone was kind of like, Oh, like, Oh shit. Like, okay. I guess he's here for a reason. Yeah. I guess like (laughs) this guy kind of, but you know, I made some mistakes there, man. Luxury's tough. Luxury's hard, man. Like, yeah, I, I remember my first like Land Rover appraisal, like I just made the biggest, I, we lost on that vehicle, like 18 grand. Can you believe that? Oh my God. And like my GM at the time, he was a great guy. Like I, I, he taught me a lot of things and I mean, he goes to me and he's like, all right, so you made a mistake. Just make sure it never happens again. (laughs) Yeah. Don't (laughs) do it again. (laughs) Yeah, man. Like I'm losing sleep. Like, oh my God. Like. It was so brutal. It was that because you just didn't know Man, how to it's like, okay, so imagine it. Well, think vehicle. about it. A guy buys a $200,000 vehicle, right? He yeah. puts on 30,000 kilometers. Um, I know. I think he put like 80,000 kilometers on it in a year. It was something crazy. And then he comes in for an appraisal. He paid 200 grand for it. And I'm like, I don't know. Like, what's that car worth? Yeah. $200,000 vehicle, but it's got a lot of miles. Right. Yeah. So what's it worth? Right? Like, I don't even know, man. And so when you're playing in those kind of dollars, like I'm dealing with Chevy cruises for 10, 15 grand. And now I go to this. I'm like, Oh my God. Yeah. It's a whole other ball game. So I learned my lesson and then we ended up just getting dialed right in. And I mean, we, uh, yeah, we, man, like I wish I could share the numbers, but it was like, we, we like tripled our net profit in the first year. And then we, we almost doubled it then the following year. So it was like, wow. it, it was just like great, man. We lit wow. it up. We went from doing like 30, 40 cars doing like 60, 70 every month. Um, and, uh, amazing team, like such a good team of people and was there two just about two years. And, uh, one day we're lighting it up. Life's good. I'm 22, 23 driving a Land Rover, yeah. you know, yeah. like 150 grand vehicle, like life's good, you know, yeah. Yeah. making a bunch of money. Hey, what could go wrong? And, um, I get a call one day and I'm like, it's Michael. And he goes, Hey, uh, how would you feel about, you know, working at the Nissan store? And I'm like, What? I'm like, what are you talking about? Yeah, yeah. How would you feel about starting there on Monday? And this is like a Saturday. Mm. I'm like, uh, like out of nowhere. And I'm like, man, like, so going from a store selling 60, 70 cars, Nissan Infinity was selling like 150 cars a month. It was a big operation, 20 salespeople, like a big thing, right? And I'm like, wow, like that's pretty amazing. As a GSM? He was GSM, thinking, general sales manager. Thinking, so instead yeah. of like two sales managers, now that you got like five, it's like a much bigger, well, I guess four actually. It's a much bigger thing. Yeah. So I'm like, look, let me talk to my girlfriend, Hazel. Let me get back to you. So I'm like, I talked to her and I'm like, hey, you know what? Like Michael's never stood me wrong. What do I have to lose? If it doesn't work out, so what? You know, but again, at Jaguar, same thing, man, like those results didn't just happen. Like it was like straight up, like I was everywhere, every banquet, every, every like community involvement. I was there at car shows on Sundays. I was there like Sundays were closed. Uh, 
every like Monday, Tuesday, nine to nine, every day, every week, no days off, like straight up. And yeah. people think like, oh, like you're just yelling, you're lucky. But I'm like, fuck. You don't, you have no you, clue. You don't like, you don't like understand and you don't, you know, you don't yeah. see those like long nights hustling a deal. We close at six. I'm there till nine. Yeah. I did wait, that a number wait, of times. Yeah. But. Waiting for a guy to show up because he's got to close his business down. He gets there. We hustle till 1030. We don't close a deal. And I just go home and my girlfriend's like, oh, did you close the deal? I'm like, no. Like that, that was just normal. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But that, that is so anyway, so Nissan infinity, I'm like, okay, you know what? Let's do it. Yeah. So I sign up and then they were getting a new general manager who I got along with really well. This guy, Derek Witte, who's a beauty, great guy. We go there together. He's getting married like the same week. So he's going on his honeymoon that month. He's gone. And I'm like, fuck, I'm going to be alone in this monster. Yeah. Right? So you're going to be GSM in a new, in a and no new GM store. There. Oh, no, no general manager. No general he's going manager. on his honeymoon for like three weeks. So for those who don't know that the layout of a dealership, it's sales people. Then you get you typically a new car manager, used car manager, yeah, right. then a general sales manager sometimes. And yeah. then a general manager or a dealer principal. Right. And that's kind of the flow of, uh, that's kind of the hierarchy of, of yeah. the, of a dealership structure typically. Yeah. And sometimes you might have like an extra sales manager, like new used and maybe one more sales manager to help like desk deals Yeah, in the big stores, which is what we had at Nissan. Yeah. Um, and then we also had the infinity side, which had a sales manager and salespeople. So it was like two dealerships, yeah. right? But they're attached. Yeah. Um, and uh, anyways, so we go there for a few days together and we're hitting it off immediately. And we're getting, you know, just getting a lay of the land, just trying to figure this place out. And um, it was doing okay, but the culture was kind of rough. The energy wasn't there. And it was just kind of like, it was doing okay, but just not great not hitting targets, you know, for those of you that don't like know, like there's a lot of money on the table to hit targets in the car business. So like the manufacturer will be like, they'll incentivize you to hit your target. So like it's 50 cars, you got to sell them 50 new cars. If you sell 49, you get zero. But if you sell 50, maybe you might get, you know, X amount of dollars retroactive, you yeah. know? So it's like, it's it means, a means a lot to hit the number. Yeah. So if you don't hit it, it's not good. Yeah. Anyways, uh, yeah, so he's, he's gone and it's just me. And so I'm like, okay, like I gotta like, this is gonna be crazy. So that first month, man, I don't think I've ever, like, I went so hard. Like we did like a massive sale first Saturday. We sold like 22 cars that one day. We ended up just going like completely next level, like just Tons of energy. I was throwing a bunch of money around bonuses, just like get everyone jacked, get everyone fired up. Oh right? yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, and we did, and we and we we killed it. And yeah. it was like it was a massive month, man. It was the <laughs> biggest month of the year. And it was it was October. It was yeah, it was in October. And anyways, Derek comes back and he's like, "Wow, like man, killed it." And that was such an important month, man, because it proved to like head office at Birchwood. It proved to the team that like you know, yeah, I'm young, but like, I got this. Mm-hmm. And, uh, so I thought it was like, it was all meant to happen. And, and then, you know, Derek and I, for a year, a solid year, cause I went there October, 2017. 
And then I went a full year and we had a record year. Mm-hmm. You know, we just, we, like, I remember March, we're in March right now, 81 new cars, right? 81 new cars. We rolled just on the Nissan side. Infinity, we did 22 new infinities used. We did like, I don't know, 65 or something like that. But it was a big, big month. And like, I think I, I saw the numbers and they were sitting around like, you know, most Nissan stores, I talked to like Vickernies, they're at like 30, you know, like month to date, it's like the 25th. Yeah. So like, that was a big deal. And, um, yeah. And then we just, we just went hard, man. We just, every month was like pushing the limits and just new records, breaking all the previous records, record used car month, record new car month, you know, record gross profit, like you name it, we were just killing it. And then, yeah, Michael left the group. Mm-hmm. He left the group. Um, and then the phone rang and like I said, this was the part that I skipped. And then, yeah, just, I, I ended up, I was, it was really tough though, Dean. Cause I was like, I had so much love for the Bertrand group because the history with my family, my grandfather, I washed cars there, the journey that I went on. And then it was like to leave. But what it was, was like, it, I just had to ask myself like, okay, worst case scenario, right? that's, I think an important thing to do in life is like, okay, worst case scenario, right? So I fail, right? Then what? Okay. I go sell cars. I go be a sales manager. I go be a GSM. Like, yeah. So what? Yeah. Um, you know, I, I definitely could have stayed. They were extremely generous. They were, they were very, very good to work for. The Chipmans are an amazing family, but it was like, I think I just needed to do this for me. Eastern was kind of like the laughing stock in Winnipeg. Like, mm. like I remember last year numbers, like 13 new cars, seven new cars. Like Eastern was having a tough year, you know? Yeah. 20 new cars, 13 new cars. Like that's tough, you yeah. know? And, and then, yeah. And for the, for, for those who don't know where they're located, they're way down main street. Yeah. Like North, North main street. End, yeah. 1900 is, main street. Yeah. Yeah. And North end typically, oh, I love North collar. end, but it's, it's the rougher yeah. end of the city. It's not blue uh, collar. We like to call it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There you go. So yeah. just to, just a place no, where the dealership's located. Right. Yeah. And you know, 73 years, the dealership's been in business. Isn't that yeah. crazy? Yeah. Um, owned by a family for most of the time, the last five years it's been owned by, you know, auto Canada, but like, mm-hmm. It definitely had this divide. My predecessor was very corporate, you know, in, in his ways, whereas it was a family store. So it was this big divide of a family store to a corporate store. Right. And I'm trying to blend those lines a bit of like, yeah, we're corporate, but we're still community-based. We're still like customer service is number one. We're still, we still want to be leaders in our community and in our business. We still want to be the destination center for your friends, your family, your, you know, the community. And so, whereas it was just very much of like, you don't like it. See you later, mm-hmm. you know, or the, you know, we don't do discounts on, you know, what, like it was just kind of, it was a very big 360. Yeah. And I've been to your store and it's a very multicultural store big as time. well, which is good to highlight because you want to go from, you know, family owned to corporate. Yeah. Well, 
the families that are running this store, even though it's under a corporate uh, like structure. I mean, it's it's community. It's like the people that are in working, living in the in the community are, yeah. are working there, right? So, well, and you still have to, yeah. You want to draw on that. I mean, that. I mean, we have a collision center, parts department, service department, sales department. And like, there's a lot of areas in our dealership that are like amazing. Like we got a great body shop. Our parts department is like amazingly run service. We had to go through massive changes, had just, a, it was just, a, it was not good at all. Yeah. Um, sales had an extremely tough year, went through a bunch of turnover in the sales department. But, um, you know, it was, I went from an auto group that everyone knew me everyone knew my story. Everyone knew kind of how I went along mm-hmm. to an auto group that no one knows this guy. You're 25 years old and you're taking over this dealership. Like what? And you've never run a store yeah. and Who you're taking, this? and you're taking over one of the poorest performing stores, losing, losing like just in rough shape. Yeah. You know, and you're going to run it. Yeah. Like, okay. Like, uh, what? Yeah. So, and on paper, I get it. It looks weird. Like a 25 year old guy who is a general sales manager is going to take over this like failing store. Yeah. Like what? Yeah. But, um, you know, thankfully I've just, we've been able to build a solid team and actually a lot of the people that you used to work with from Waverly Chrysler. Yeah. Cause when I used to visit my dad, yeah. I got to know everyone. Yeah. I got to know you. I got to know everybody. Yeah. So a lot of those people came and were coming and yeah. Surrounding myself just with a better, and I shouldn't say better. Surrounding myself with there's a lot of the same people that are there, but also growing with new people. Yeah. Um. Changing the culture, changing process. Yeah. And uh, my hours haven't changed. Even yeah. Even though the title is is what it is. Yeah. I'm still first to arrive, last to leave. People yeah. still laugh. You know, people laugh at me that have worked with me. They're like, why, man? Like, what? And I'm like, you know, I used to think I'd get to this place of, like, being a GM. And, or I used to fantasize, like, if I could make a hundred grand, if I could be a general manager, if I could be, the, you know, if I, like, I had all these ambitions when I was young and I was like, okay, I made a hundred grand. Okay. I wonder what it'd be like to make 150. Okay. You do that. And everything just keeps growing. And what I realized is like, yeah, okay. I've made the GM and I've made the money and whatever, but you get to a point where it's like the destination isn't happiness. Right. And that's something that like, I really encourage people is like, the journey is what's important. And honestly, what's crazy is like, I never share this journey with anybody. Yeah. This whole thing that I just talked about. Yeah. Is like the curtains are in on this. Yeah. Um, but like, as you can tell, it's like been just a crazy roller coaster. Yeah. And there's things in between that I've skipped. Yeah. I'm going to go, I'm going to pull up some big missing piece after I'm going to let you keep, keep going down this route, but yeah, it is, uh, sorry, continue. Yeah. But yeah. It's been, it's just like, I've just found like, you know, if you want something, you can do it. Mm-hmm. 
And I had this grand vision of my end journey being a GM, mm-hmm. you know, dealer principal GM, running your own store and it's all good. And But I feel like this is actually the start. Yeah. Yeah. Which is crazy because this was like the end game. This was like, oh, this is like, hey, maybe 20, 30 years. Like, hey, I could do this. Yeah. And I've done it in like seven, eight. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean. That is a huge, huge. People go through their whole life and they don't learn that lesson that the journey is actually what you need to cherish and not the end game. And that's why you've coin terms like midlife crisis and et cetera, mm-hmm. because people are like, Oh, well now I'm at the point, you know, in the middle of your life, you've acquired enough to now purchase things and stuff. Yeah. And then they're like, Oh yeah, well I've always wanted that car. I'm going to get that car. And then they get it. Okay. Now I'm going to get that house. Okay. Now I'm going to get that boat. Now I'm going to get that. Yeah. And, and you have this just... idea like that. Oh, when I get that, I'll be happy. But it's like, you know, I think like, you live once, you know, you can die at any time. It's like, take a freaking risk, you know, just go for it. Because, yeah. and I remember my dad, when I was young, he used to force me to like meet people. And he'd say, <laughs> I had to say, like, we'd go on a trip and I'd have to meet like the kids playing over there that were my age. And I'd have to go yeah. over and say, hi, I'm Frank. What's your name? That was like my thing. Yeah. And and I remember he'd even make like do with, like young like girls when I was like you know 10, yeah. 11 years old. Like, go say hi to them. Just say, get just out go there. chat with them. Yeah, yeah. And I'd be like, I don't want you. Like, you know. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, so I I'd go do it, and he's like, "What's the worst thing that happens, Frank?" And I remember like being young. What's the worst thing that happens? Yeah. I don't know. I guess they don't like me. He's like, yeah. And then and and so what? Yeah. Yeah. I, I guess they just they wouldn't like me. He's like, and so what? And it just like was like, I mean, that's just always how I've been. It's like, okay, so if you fail, so what? Yeah. If it doesn't work out, so what? Yeah. We live in a great country. You know, you, like the opportunities will be there. We're never going to like, if you work hard, you'll always land, you know? Yeah. And... So, I mean, that's just always been my way. It's like, take yeah. a risk, wor- play out worst case scenario. And often worst case scenario isn't as bad as you like think it is. It's not. Often it's really not. what's bad about it, and here's what's crazy, is the way you think other people r- will respond, which really doesn't matter. Because who cares yeah. if people are like, oh, yeah, he, you know, so what? Yeah. yeah. You know what? If I fail and someone like laughs at me, I'll be like, yeah, so what? Like... Yeah, I took a chance. Didn't work out. Now, thankfully, I haven't had that happen yet. (laughs) Maybe it might. But, you know, it's just everything. But it's like, yeah, I mean, who gives a shit about if someone doesn't agree with your decisions or doesn't agree with, you know, what you want to do? And at the end of the day, you got to do what's best for you and your family and your unit. Yeah. And trust in yourself yeah yeah preach absolutely i know i yeah. know right i mean i know i'm yeah. just preaching hard here but it's just the truth i just i don't talk about the stuff much but it's like you got to believe in yourself you know yeah i'm 25 okay yeah 
But if I told myself, if I, if I was under the belief that I'm too young to do this job, I would be too young. Yeah. Well, it goes back to your quote that you wrote at the bottom of that binder. Yeah. Right. If you, uh, if you choose that you're going to be successful, what, what was it? If you choose that you're going to be successful. In this business, you choose to be successful, dot, 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 or not. Or not. Same quote, uh, same message, but different quote is, uh, if you think you're right or if you think you're wrong, either way, like you're right. You're right. Yeah. Right? Like if Bang you, on. yeah, if you think that you can do something, you probably can do it. If you think you can't, yeah, you're probably right too. You probably can't do it because yeah. you're, yeah, your mind is like a, it's a powerful, power, powerful tool. And I don't know if you can like teach that confidence. You know, I feel like, I feel like people have to really throw themselves into like, you have to throw yourself into something to such a degree that you don't care. Well, you have to also push your comfort level. You have to do things that you're man get familiar with being uncomfortable, like be comfortable being uncomfortable. That's right. The more you do that, the more you, you will grow, the more you'll expand your experience, your mind, your, your thoughts, like everything. And that's, you know, my, my definition, you know, I've always, I've always just throw me in, even though I wasn't ready, like, man, any position I've taken, sales manager, subprime, GSM, this now, this role. Yeah. Honestly, man, if you want to know, like in my heart, yeah, I was, I was scared. I wasn't ready. I mean, you, you like, if you asked me straight up point blank, like, do you think you're ready? I'd be like, man, I, I don't know. Like, I mean, Someone thinks I am like my mentor thinks I'm ready. So I guess I'm ready, mm-hmm. but like, I don't know if I'm ready, but you have to like, tell yourself, you're like, I'm going to figure it out. Yeah. And I don't care what comes in my way, how shitty it gets. I ain't going to stop until I figure it out. And that's just kind of what I've. Yeah. Yeah. And you know what? The funny thing that, cause we're very close in age. I'm only like, I'm 30, but when I was a kid and I would see adults, I, I was always looking at adults and being like, wow, like, you know, even when you're a kid in a car and like you're, you're being driven to where you're going and you have no idea of like where things are, you just have like your house or your school yeah. and that's it. But like, you're like, wow, how's like that adult know where to go and where things are? And, and I always thought like growing up, man, like adults know things that I don't and they got it like figured out and then as I've gotten older and now I'm an adult in quotations I look around and I'm like holy fuck (laughs) these adults don't have it figured out like everyone is going through their own journey and they are figuring shit out just like you are and they have their doubts of like am I ready am I doing this I don't know but if they have the, if they have a mentor, if they're fortunate to have somebody that, uh, like it's so unfortunate that the news is negative driven and there's so much, I don't watch it. I'm out. You know, I don't, neither do I, I stay away. I just, neither do I, I I try to stay away. And, and you know, the one thing that I can tell you about like having a good mentor is I forced that shit, you know, like it wasn't really like invited Like it wasn't really like, here, come under my wing. You know, in fact, it was almost like maybe in the beginning, it was kind of like, I was just like, Hey, here's this kid from a lunch. Here you go. 
Yeah. You know, and I just like, I constantly like, I remember like I was an intern and I was like Monday to Friday, but I still went in on Saturdays cause I knew he was there on Saturdays and he'd give me a project and be like, yeah, so if you can get this done by like within two months and I'd finish it within like two fucking weeks. I'd yeah. be like, I'm done. What else you got? Yeah. You know? Yeah. And I was like, and then I would like go see him and I'd be like, Hey, like, you know, and I was genuine. I was like, Hey, like I, I you know, I need some advice on something. Do you got a minute? And I really, really took everything he had to say to, to heart. And I just, I always made sure even I would just drop by sometime. And again, like comfort zone, I'm talking to the president of the company, CEO of the company. And I would just like show up one day. Yeah. Be like, Hey, you got a minute? Or I'd email him or text and be like, Hey, do you mind if we meet sometime? And just like, you know, so like sometimes people are like, you know, uh, man, you're lucky to have that relationship. Oh, business isn't about what you know, it's who you know and stuff like that. Like, oh, it was all just happened. But it's like, you know, like, no, it's not, man. Like any friendship you have out there, any mentoring, any business relationship, it doesn't just happen. You know, like it takes time. It takes effort. It's just like a girlfriend or a boyfriend. Like to have a good relationship takes consistent communication, takes effort takes you know it doesn't just like you have to invest in a relationship the ceo of a company just took me under his wing it's like no like i genuinely like if i had a school project i always did them on the bertrand group to have an excuse to interview him right so every project i did was on the bertrand group so i could interview him spend an hour with him Get to know them. Right. Build a relationship. Build a relationship. You got yeah. it, right? Whereas yeah. everyone else was like, yeah, I did my summer job. Oh, I don't know what I'm going to do. Oh, you're so lucky. But it was like, no, like, you know what? Like, why haven't you reached out to the COO of that company you did an internship with? You know, like, why not? Yeah. But again, it's that fear. Yeah. It's that, like, that confidence or, like, that idea of, like, but it stems back to, like, Okay, worst case scenario, what? He says, no, I don't have time for you. So then I'm a sales guy. So I would go, okay, when do you have time? Does next week, next week or the week after work? Yeah. Right? Either or, another sales trick. Yeah. 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 <laughs> don't you're, say you're when me. works for you. Say, does this time or this time work for you? Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Give like two options, not too many. Yeah. Does Just next week or the options. week after work? Okay, that, that works. Okay. Would earlier in the week or later in the week work? You know what? That, Morning or afternoon? Yeah, 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 exactly. That the the story of your dad, like saying, "Go, like meet that. Go introduce yourself to those kids or that girl <laughs> yeah. or whatever." What that taught you was like fa- face your fear. He pushed you into like a discom, like an uncomfortable situation all the time, and that helped you take advantage of uh, I think it was I think it's Tom Collins created uh, or he wrote the book uh, Good to Great oh what a great book book. what a great book and he read another well he's written several books but he talks about I don't know if it's the flywheel in one of them but he talks about who luck and who luck is basically the people that you just are lucky to you know, weird coincidences or you run into so-and-so at a weird time in your life. You just, you bump into somebody at some point in your life and that is who luck. And so you had, 
your dad pushing you into like uncomfortable situations. So you really took advantage of your who luck, yeah. the people that, you know, the dinner table that you went and sat next to, uh, Bob Chipman, like yeah. you, you were able to, you know, take advantage of, of those doors opening when, when they opened and some people just let them drift by or they, they don't really, you know, turn it into something more or build a relationship with that, that who luck person because they like, look at the trickle effect of you. Oh, I man meeting, uh, Bob and giving you the opportunity to wash cars. And then you took, and then you also took it serious and then you were able to do that. And, uh, yeah, that's amazing. Man, that, that book, I'll tell you what, I uh, read that book a couple times, and my favorite line in it is, good is the enemy to great. Mm. I say it all the time in sales meetings. Yeah. I, I'm always like, um, I'm always like, guys, good is the enemy to great. Uh, you know, like, we're not good. We're, we're great. And being great is is not easy, but... Even if you're in first, you got to be working like you're in second, you know, and that's just, I think that's a Mike Tyson quote actually. Yeah. But it's like, uh, I'm, I'm big on that stuff. Like, you know, to be next level and especially like, you know, whether it's young, old man, woman, you know, maybe English isn't your first language, whatever the thing might be. It's like, you can't let, you can't let like obstacles get in your way. And I think that's what it comes down to. Like I have a couple older sales guys on our team and they go like, you know, I'm not good with technology. I'm like, you want to know why you're not good with technology is because you've decided that you're not good with it. You haven't even given it a chance. I said, we all had to learn it young or old, give it a chance and you'll be fine. But if you've made the decision in your head that you're not good with it. Yeah. You won't be, you know? Yeah. And it's like, if you, if you just decide, like, I just want to like sell 10 cars and I'm good. And like, that's good. You know, good for you. Yeah. But like, if you want to be great and next level, if you want to be like, you know, general manager at 25, like you gen man, like straight up, you gotta be kind of like borderline crazy. And like, you asked my girlfriend, like my girlfriend, we've been together five years. I remember she made a post after like two years, right? On her Instagram, she goes, uh, even though 90% of the time when I see you, you're sleeping, um, I still love you and all this kind of stuff. And I'm like, <laughs> I laugh because I'm like, oh man. Like, but it's true. Like, I, I mean, for the first while, like I was pretty, pretty hardcore. But um, yeah, I think pushing yourself into being comfortable in the uncomfortable yeah is important yeah um you had something you were just saying you're like hey you skipped something i wanted to ask you about it and you're kind of like well i was gonna ask you if you also want to talk share your experience with the app oh so we're getting into the weeds <laughs> <laughs> so we're veering off here <laughs> okay um yeah, you know what? So so talk about just the Asper program. Just to, just start yeah, there because that's sure. where it stemmed from, right? So the Asper program, so Asper School of Business, it's a pretty 
I mean, a pretty big business school. Um, it's a pretty good business school in, in Canada. Um, it is. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, I mean, it's a tough program, but you, you know, I think what it teaches is good time management. You learn a lot of good, valuable, you know, concepts related to business, marketing, finance, accounting. I did a finance major myself, mm-hmm. um, and marketing. Um, but I, I, uh, um, I found marketing, you know, once you do kind of one marketing course, you've done them all. Most people might not <laughs> like that comment, but I mean, with I a mean, marketing major no, background, I, know, I, it know. Is, oh, I think it's true. A lot of them are, I mean, they, a lot of them kind of gel into each other a bit, whereas finance was like very, like, oh man, the concepts were constantly changing, but accounting, same thing. But it was just, you know, I really actually liked marketing because um, I'm just, I, I like the sales stuff, but. Um, yeah. So what ended up happening there? So did I ever tell you how this all started or no? I don't know. You might've, I know like quite a bit about it from conversations that we've had, but, uh, I'll tell you a little about it. Okay. So anyways, while the car business stuff's going on, the car dealership, the, all this stuff, everything I just talked about. Yeah. So the general manager of the Chevy store. Remember I told you the guy who offered me like two grand Corvette and all that? Yeah. This guy is like who I also consider like a mentor and a very good friend. Okay. So this guy, basically he got a partnership, dealer principal kind of opportunity out of town in a big store, big dealership. And, but I always stayed close to him. And in fact, I almost moved out there to do subprime at his dealership. Like it was so close. Like we were going to work together again because we were that tight. Yeah. But it didn't, it didn't come together. And again, this is all during the meanwhile of like everything I talked about. And uh, anyways, so I guess about a year before I took the sales manager role, um, he started to develop an app for like on dealership websites. When you go onto a website, you can like chat with salespeople, right? So you can like go on a little pop-up comes up, you can chat with salespeople, right? And that would have been relatively new that was as well. Fresh. Yeah. That was like a new thing. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And so he had actually started working on a chat system where you could chat like with people, uh, with the, with the salespeople. So you chat it, it goes to the salesperson's cell phone and then you, you know, you can pick it up. So him and I started to become very close and this was very new and very fresh. And then it became this concept of, well, what if you could text message a dealership and the text message would go to all the salespeople through an app and then you could respond. So like, let's just say, you know, on a vehicle ad, it could be like, call or text us. This was, had never been done. And now if you look on every car ad, it's call or text us. Yeah. Right. So this was something though, that was like never, no one had ever, this was like call or text. Like what? Yeah. And then we, and then the software developed into, uh, and again, Dan and I were very close working on this thing. And then, it, and then he had kind of come up with a concept of, you know, doing mass text messages to multiple people could be like a, a, a marketing campaign of, Hey, interested, you know, in buying your vehicle, can you call me right away? Here's my number. Well, now people would call that number. It wouldn't go to a cell phone. It would get rerouted to the main lines and it could, you know, and anyways, it's just started to spawn into this big kind of thing. It's a big idea, this big idea. And then it all started to kind of 
come together and actually get built. And so I ended up actually, uh, there was a few times, like I hopped on a flight, me and this other guy who's also his, uh, his name was Frank. And we went to like Edmonton for a full day, rented a car, got there at like six in the morning. We would literally go to like 20 dealerships, pitch the product, give like our, our shtick. And then we would like try to book a demo or do a demo on the spot and sell, you know, the, 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 the app, the app. And it was a monthly subscription. And I was, you know, I pitch it four ninety nine a month. And at the time you were at Waverly, I even pitched you. You remember that? Yeah. You yeah. Did. And I, uh, and I bought it. So to lay, I'm going to lay this up a little bit more, lay yeah. the, the scene a little bit more. So, so while you're doing that and you're, this is also, was this part of Asper? Was it like a part of your practicum or whatever to like create a business or was it just no, totally separate? No, this was a separate, totally deal. separate. Okay. Yeah. And uh, I, okay. I kind of came into it like Dan and I were talking about me going out there to do subprime at this as his dealership. Okay. And then he was developing this and then I kind of latched on and then I was like, okay, I, you know, I think I can kind of sell it. I yeah. can sell it for you. Okay. See, I didn't know that. I thought that the app was actually because at Red River College, we had in our second year, entrepreneurship was a class and we had to develop a business from scratch all the way to pitch the idea. Yeah. So see, I did a few of those. We did business cases where I even won some money and stuff like that. Yeah. But this one was like, Dan had built this thing. Got it. We, I had like, we had talked a lot about when he was building it and so on. And then when it came down to it, I was like, man, I can sell this for you. Okay. Got it. And so I started knocking on doors. He was knocking on doors. Next thing you know, I got like Mercedes Benz, Winnipeg. I got like all these dealerships on and we were like, man, we can make a run at this thing. We're going to like blow this thing up. And we kept going and kept going. And then I got the sales manager job. And then I was like, man, like I am, it was kind of like that light bulb moment of like, remember when I told you, like I stopped working and just focus on university. Yeah. And I was like, and then I got these crazy results. I was like, you know, for me to get crazy good results in, in as a sales manager, I just, I need to focus. Yeah. You know, I, I can't keep living this life of like a million things at once. Maybe I can get to that point, you know, at some point, but I really need to prove myself and fully commit. So I, I just, we stopped, you know, and I just, I went full in, but yeah, there was like a time there where like, man, I would fly out, um, get to like a city six in the morning. Uh, I think it was Calgary. We, I think we did Calgary. We got there like six in the morning, flew out like in the evening. Next day I was like at work and everyone's like, I actually, I was still a sales manager. I was still, I was a sales manager at Chevy. My day off was like a Wednesday and I never took my days off, but I was like, no, I got to go to Calgary and sell this. Right. So I like took the airplane and everyone's like, Oh, so like, how was your day off? I'm like, Oh, good. They're like, you seem pretty tired. And I'm like, no, yeah, it's just tough sleep. Yeah. Meanwhile, I was like, you know, like across the freaking country, like working, hustling my butt all day and then back and, you know, yeah, you know, but that was just, Hey, it was just, you know, I mean, that was, so that was pretty cool. Like we, I really learned, like that was a lot, some hard cold calling again, closing tactics, like really, we were nobody. We were this small little app company and, uh, you know, Dan, Dan is such a visionary. Dan is such a positive, amazing person Mm. that I honestly believed 
And I always wonder, like, I wonder if I just quit the car business and did that. I wonder what would have happened. Just the app? Yeah. Yeah. Because we were getting results, man. It was like, it was coming together. Yeah. But, yeah. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. Did you buy it? I can't remember. No. So we, so my role was, I couldn't close you. (laughs) So my, my, my role was internet sales coordinator. Yeah. So I started, basically all the leads would come to me from the website and at first, I just had an Excel spreadsheet. Like from the chat, right? From, yeah, any like form submission online, oh, yeah. so any like, like inquire. I'm this car, yeah. click, yeah. All gotcha. the little call yeah. to actions, you they would it. come yeah. to me, right? Or like Kijiji, AutoTrader, anything like that, all yeah. to you. Yeah, not okay. just our website, but anywhere the vehicles were sold. Got it. So they would come to me, and then I would log all the information in an Excel spreadsheet, and then I would dish out to the salesman. Uh, okay, here, like you deal with this customer, here's a lead, here's a lead, here's a lead. And then over time it developed into, okay, well, it just, it kept growing because I kept improving our website and bringing traffic in through social media and putting more attention into like the, I was taking good angle photos and I'm like, well, visuals, like you need to have good photos, making sure that the vehicles were super clean and taking like the right angles. I had an eye for like what, how do, how do you make this car like look really good? Right. And so that kept growing and growing. So we ended up getting a CMS system or customer retention management CRM uh, system, uh, to funnel and house and then create a whole strategy around how do we lead an online customer through this buying process because the car industry always in my opinion was playing catch up to the technology yeah and so uh and you had to create systems in place and have processes which you talk about is so important to guide these new informed customers through this new way of buying vehicles and chat was just coming it was becoming a thing around the time that we were uh we we kind of had a pretty good strategy with selling vehicles online and we had this system in place but uh so chat was getting it was it was just just arriving now all the dealerships do it and everything yeah, but you like, hit a good time in the market to be able to evolving. pitch that product because yeah. it was the next that's what was missing was the chat functionality and i yeah. can't remember if uh, i don't know if i was in the meeting but i think you, you know, did pitch they, it. they actually have the product now they they do so oh, they do they okay. ultimately bought in to the, to the thing but i think it, it took a while and like yeah but yeah i mean um you know, like, man, I, I, it all, it, it was all like, so again, something like that. Now I could have been like, you know, like, well, I'm not really getting paid an hourly salary or I'm not really like guaranteed anything. 
So like this is a waste of my time or I could have made up all these reasons and excuses in my mind of like why I shouldn't be selling it. Well, it's risky. I got to buy a flight and I haven't lined up any appointments to fly to a different city and I don't know people. Like all this shit. And it was like, you know, I could have created all these excuses as to like why it was a bad idea. Right. But instead I was like, Hey, you know what? What an opportunity. And that's the way I think I've always just looked at life. It's like, okay, Eastern Chrysler, you know, struggling store, having a hard time. New car numbers are down big time. You know, all this stuff. Like I could tell all these excuses. Ah, man, that store's, uh, it's too far gone. And, uh, you know, I want to go to a store that's, you know, doing well. And, you know, I could tell myself all these excuses or I could be like, man, what an opportunity. Right. And I think that's like really important is I hear so often, like I'll get people that come and are like, you know, what, what's my guarantee in sales? Mm. And I'm like, I, it's all good. Cause listen, people have like responsibilities and stuff and I get it. And I'm like, I, I totally feel you. But I, and I'm like all good to like help people out and like get them on board, give them guarantees and stuff. But at the end of the day, I'm like, look, I can give you any guarantee you want, but you're going to be the, you know, you're going to decide like how successful you want to be. Because if you listen to our process, if you are passionate about vehicles, if you're passionate about taking, you know, customer service and you'll be fine, you know? Um, but yeah, it's, you can always, you can look at like glass half full, half empty. Yeah. And you have to trust that process if there is a process. Yes, there is. Man. So there's, there's a, a risk clear. on that person's uh, side as well. But if they, if you commit, if you make it up in your mind that, yeah, okay, I'll do this and I'll give it a shot and then go at it 110%, then usually, I mean, it's amazing the difference in like any quality output that comes out of you just putting in a little bit more effort. If you just, if you care a little bit more about whatever it is you're doing, like the quality will just, I don't know, just like if you work, not even if you work hard, but if you work hard and you like believe in what you're, what you're doing, I don't know if it's like karma or like just like goodness that like surrounds that. And then like you don't get results all the time. It's not a fail proof thing, but like it's going to do more good than it will bad. And I think something that uh, I've been told is like, especially as a leader, like in a, in a leadership role um, is people can't see you sweat. And, and the kind of the verbiage that was used was like, people need to believe in you. People, when shit is hitting the fan, you need to be calm, cool, collected and confident. And what I always say is like, look, if we're doing all the things right, we got the right plan. We got the right vision. We got the right people. We're doing all the things right. The results will come. Yeah. And it's like. Don't focus on results, focus on activity, right? So like in a day, especially in sales, it's like, listen, you might be at one car and it's the 20th of the month, 25th of the month, 
but it's like, don't focus on that. Yeah. You can't like, that's done. It's, it, it's, it is what it is. Focus on your activity. What are you going to do today to change that? What are you going to do? Like, tell me hour by hour, what is, does your day look like? And, you know, make a plan because you can either just like focus on results, you know, and just be, but if you focus on activity, the results will come. Yeah. And I think, you know, even when things have been bad or not so great, I've worked extremely hard to like channel out that emotion or like that, you know, like it's all about the team and the, and the, if the team asks, like you still have to like, you know, have consequences of things, you know, aren't working well or whatever, but you can't like lose yourself, lose control. You still have to be confident. You still have to be trust in yourself, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's a hard balance, man. It's, it's tough. Yeah. So what, what have been some of your most memorable failures? Oh man, that's a good question. Um, what a great question. Probably my most memorable failure, uh, actually such a good one was first year university, right? High school was always a breeze chugged along, no issues, got into the direct entry, all this stuff. And I did calculus my first term. And anyone who's taken calculus knows it's pretty tough, you know, like other than you like math whizzes out there. I mean, it's, it's just, a, it's a little bit more of a detailed math, a lot of process, just, you, you have to be pretty, you know, focused, right? It's, it's just different. Like I think high school pre-cal doesn't really prepare you much for university calculus. It's just it, it, the speed of the course and everything like that was just, it was, it was, it was tough. Yeah. And so I ended up studying like crazy for my midterm or what I thought at that time was crazy. And, uh, and I got like a 48% and I failed right in my mind. And what I found out later the average was like 46%. So it was actually like a C, right? Yeah. Which isn't great, but it wasn't like terrible. But I was so devastated because for the first time I worked so hard at something and fucking failed. So if the average is that though, I would try, what was the teacher like? Oh, he was brutal. Right. And I'm not just like blaming someone else, but like if you have a a class average at that time. He was like, it was like, man, the pace he was moving at was like, I just put my pencil down in a couple courses and I'm like, all right, I'm just like, I'm just gonna. Uh, yeah. yeah. Know, and like, Matt, you need back to stay on, on the one. train because oh, if you get man. off, it's like, well, oh, you need tough. to know yeah. steps A through man, Z. Man, it was like self-taught, I swear. Like it was tough. Like the course was tough to keep up. Like you had to be, you had to be like ahead of the game going into the class to like be with it. Yeah. Um, so I dropped the course yeah. without knowing in university, like how it works, like you're graded on a curve and the average is this, you, you know, yeah. I didn't know all that. I just thought I was like, yeah. okay, you got a 48, you failed. Like you yeah. suck. Yeah. So I, I dropped out of the course and then I found that out and I was like, man, really? Like I got to see you. It wasn't that bad. So next term, I take it again. And this time around, I'm like, no way. I was like, there's no way this course is going to break me. 
So I like went way over the top, Dean, like way, way, way over the top into this course. Actually so over the top that on like, I had a, an elective called leisure travel. Leisure travel, I got like a C plus or a C or something. Calculus, I got an A plus. Wow, yeah, totally Like perfect score, like I just like killed this course. Yeah. But it was like, and anyone who's taking calculus, like, you know, it's, I think it's kind of that first tough math course you take in university, it's just a little bit of shell shock, but it was like a good moment for me of like, okay, I can do this. Yeah. So that was probably a good one. Car business wise, um, I remember, uh, I think it was the second month at the Chev store, maybe it was the first month, I sold like 12 cars, but man, I was like struggling so hard. I like couldn't sell cars. I was sitting on like seven deals and it was like two days before the end of the month, three days before the end of the month. And then it was like, bang, I was like selling like two, three cars. It was like, go, 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 go. But man, all month I was like floundering and I was like, man, like this is, I don't know if I made the right decision. Like, what am I doing? You know, and then you're constantly fighting that internal tailspin, just a tailspin in your head of like doubt and like, can I do this? And did I make the wrong decision? And you know, and then you get your mind starts running on you. Yeah. And you just have to like control that and like relax. And then, but like I said to you, it's like a hockey game, right? Like you can be down and all of a sudden it's like score, score, score. You're up. And that was, that was what happened. So it was like a micro failure in the sense of like, it wasn't a train wreck, but I was like, having a hard time that it came together. But yeah, um, for Mitch and I, the used car lot, uh, probably just some bad losses on cars, you know, like yeah. you're trading in something. Yeah. Just overpay for it. Can't sell it. Months go by, got to blow it out, you know, yeah. lose three grand, lose four grand. And at that time, man, like, that's big. Yeah. Yeah. Not Considering like we're paying rent for a freaking dealership. We're paying the insurance on the D plates. Like this is our, like, this is like, you're so counting like, every, everything that's oh, going out and everything every that's coming little in. bit. Right. And it's like, Oh man. Yeah. You work so hard. You wash it 10 times. You, you transport it all over the place. You do the body work. You like, you spend hours and hours and hours Yeah. to lose. Yeah. So, like those hurt. Yeah, for me, I know, like, <laughs> not a lot of people know, but I... Uh, you were slinging cars. Yeah, yeah, I was selling cars on the side as well, and uh, and it was good, and, but the one, the one car that I lost money on, uh, it was just such a hard loss, and all the cars leading up to that one, I had made money on. And then this one car, I just paid too high for it. And then I kept it for the entire time that I lived in London, Ontario. But I kept it here in Winnipeg. Was and it that Chevy Malibu? Yes. Oh, oh man. <laughs> I just, I wasn't able to sell it at a distance while like I need to be there to like show oh, yeah. talking talk about like sales and closing like people sell cars man 
yeah and just it was it was good for me to sell cars on my own on my side one i had more skin in the game because i was paying for it and i had a line of credit and same amount i think i started with a five grand line of credit so i was only limited to that in the beginning and then uh they doubled it or tripled it so i had a 15k line of credit so that opened up to what i was able to buy and in like a year bunch right yeah i think in a year and a half i was able to do i don't know 12 or 13 and it was just myself and uh and it was a good run and the and the last car was the most recent car that i did was that malibu and i lost i don't know two three grand but i think on the yeah it does but on the whole i made I don't know, an extra, maybe like 10 grand or so. And like that little bit of extra money oh, yeah. when you're going through, uh, I mean, we were just working and, you know, traveling, but like you got bills to pay and everything. You can make a little bit of extra money. Oh, like yeah, it's sure. huge. But then it you helps, lose, right? But then you, then lose, you lose it and it's like, like man, that's, it's like, it's like gambling. I have never been able to, I remember the story of my old boss just telling me, he's like, he was sitting beside a guy gambling and the guy wins a thousand bucks, right? Mm. And he's like, Oh man, way to go. You won a thousand bucks. And the guy goes, yeah, you know, it's the 30th time I've won that. And, uh, I'm still down. Oh and my, my boss God. is like, ever since that story, I've hated gambling. Right. Because it's like, yeah. and that's like, I think like the losses sometimes hurt more than the wins. And yeah, I mean, it's, uh, it's micro failures, right? It's nothing like life-changing it just fuck it just sucks yeah what's what's your biggest failures what's your oh man that is a good question it's tough to pull it out at the top of a hat i know right it is hard yeah i always think of the calculus one because it's yeah it was such like a i was so devastated but biggest failures um i don't know there's so much a failure but i if I didn't do, if I didn't get the results or didn't do that good at something, I'd usually just maybe not care enough and be like, eh, okay, like that didn't work out. I'll move on to the then to the next thing. Sometimes mm-hmm. I have like, a, like I, like I come off like I I don't really care, but I actually do. And it like hurts if I do fail at something, but you'll never know it. So for selling cars, for instance, it was so hard to keep going and I could chalk it up to, oh yeah, it was just not my, you know, my behavior, um, the way that I am and like interact with people. It just didn't really fit with, uh, with, with selling, but I think if I actually dove into it and focused on it and believed in it, I, I could probably do great at it, but it just wasn't, uh, your passion. Or- it was also, I don't know, car sales can really beat you down and you get a, oh, lot, a lot of, of no's. Yeah, yeah, it's, a, it's lot of- a lot of rejection. So I think that's, that's tough. Um, school wise, I don't count school. I I don't know. Looking back, I I don't like how if you don't do like school usually focuses on like 
the talent of memorization. How good are you at memorizing something, whether it be like facts or dates or formulas or whatever it's memorizing. Well, people have a whole bunch of other talents, creative, uh, like artistic, uh, functional strength or functional ability or problem solving skill. Yeah. Problem solving sports, uh, like other skills, but, um, so I always thought marketing, especially lots of memorization marketing. Yeah. Like yeah. Maslow's hierarchy of needs and you know, uh, all yeah. the you yeah. know, all the little nuances of Yeah. You remember all that stuff? No. The four no. Ps of marketing. Four Ps, yeah. Uh what like SWOT analysis, like strengths, yeah. weaknesses, opportunities. Well, yeah, not uh, strengths or opportunities, we what is it? Strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, threats. Yeah. Threats, that's the one, yeah. And yeah, there's a lot. I but uh I don't like how how school always is like pointing out the things that you're not good at and the things that you like fail at. And I just was, I don't know. I was always just like, well, that does, I don't know. Like I, I didn't, I didn't care enough about like the stuff that I was being taught at school to really be like, well, I'm not going to use for me. I wasn't interested in like math and science. So I was like, well, you know, when I, when a chemistry formula was on the tape on the blackboard, I was like, well, what am I going to use that for? And my teacher was like, Oh, well, you know, maybe you'll have to balance the pH levels in your pool one day and figure out it for, I'm like, if I have a pool and I get to that point, I'm just going to hire somebody that's just going to like balance that out. And I'm not, I'm not going to do any for like, I needed real, I should have gone to a public school that had woods, metals, Mm. real life. Like I wanted to learn skills like with my hands and like use my brain in a different way other than like in this year, this happened and like, you know, so like, I guess I failed a lot in school, but then when I went to college, I really... Um, I didn't, I don't, I didn't, I had a couple people on the podcast that I went to Red River with and I'm surprised at the amount of like compliments that I've got of like, you really focused on like in this course or like during that period of time, like they remember me really excelling and doing really well. So it was just the environment that I was in that I think I really, it like fit, which was really good. Yeah. I mean... It's always tough on the spot. I think uh, I, there's a good line actually that uh, 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 Dan, the guy that moved, used to run the Chevy store, always says, and he always says, fail forward. And he always says, you know, things don't happen to you, hmm. things happen for you. Hmm. And he always kind of, you know, he'll say that to me often because like things aren't going good, or I always vent to him if I'm like, hmm. you know, in a struggling through something or mm-hmm. and he'll be like man listen things don't happen to you they happen for you this is all meant to be happening everything happens for a reason you know like so he always kind of just <laughs> takes me out of my my moment for a bit but you know it's I think without failures though the success never would feel as good yeah and that's true I uh I've kind of thrived a little on the failures, the, the micro failures. I always call them micro failures because they're not yeah. like, they're not like such a failure that it's like totally break you. You know, it's like, 
Yeah, in the moment it sucks, but it's like, just pick yourself up and it'll all be okay. Yeah, right? for sure. I feel um, like, oh, sorry, go ahead. Yeah, no, I, I, uh, I, my thing with like, you know, salespeople is like, no, you get lots of no's, right? And it always feels like this, like sense of failure. Like, why are they saying no? You know, like what am I doing wrong? And like, it could be real estate. It could be sales cars. It could be, I don't care what selling an app, whatever it is you're selling. Most people are out. And it's like, no matter what you're doing, if it's a product, a service, a car and anything, either they're selling you or you're selling them. Right. So a person is either selling you or you're selling them. So like, what I mean by that is like, they've either justified to you why they don't want to buy it or do it or whatever. And you've bought into that or you're selling them on the reasons they should. And they're buying into you, but one way or another, someone's being sold. Right. And the other thing to that is my thing with always with salespeople is like, no translated to a salesperson should mean challenge accepted. Hmm. Right. That's good. Mental trick. Yeah. Yeah. So no, I need to think about it. Translation challenge accepted. Right. And it's like, so no matter what transaction I ever go into, it's like, if I'm getting the nose or I need to think about it, I'm like, Kate challenge accepted. How do I get around this puzzle? Like a sale is like a puzzle. Yeah. It's like, how do I, how do I tap into this? Like how, how, how can I, the yes is the, is the end result. How do I get there? And it's it's not a straight road. No. And it's like, okay. So it's like, all right. So what are the obstacles? Like I need to find out what are the objections they're not telling me? Like I need to think about it for anybody listening. I want to be very, so crystal clear on this is like, I need to think about it is not an objection. So when somebody talks about sales and they're talking about like objection handling, I need to think about it is not an objection. I need to think about it is an excuse Mm -hmm. to not tell you the objection. Mm -hmm. It's an excuse to hide the real reason. Do you need to talk to the wife? Is it the price? Is it the value of the product? Is it the warranty? Is it, is it me? Is it, what is it? Mm -hmm. Is it the trade value on the car? Is it like, there's something you're not sharing that's holding you back. Yeah. So my simple question always, if I can't get a deal or if I'm trying to hire someone that doesn't want to come over, I do this all the time. I'll be like, so on a car sale, I'll be like, okay, so if there's one thing holding you back right now, what is that one thing? Mm. If it's someone, if it's someone I'm trying to hire, I'll be like, okay, if there's one thing holding you back from saying yes, right now to join our team, what would that one thing be? You're basically shining the spotlight and being like, where is that missing (laughs) piece? Exactly. Right. I'm where's the missing piece to the puzzle. How do I close this deal? How do I, you know, from challenge accepted, how do I, you know, and often what you'll find is people, well, it's the price. So back to, so if I understand you correctly, if I can help you out on the price. So what you're saying is if I can help you out on that price, we'll have a deal right now. Yeah. Now you didn't say that. I coached you into it. Yeah. It's that reaffirming, getting, getting them to be like, yeah, I did say that. Yes. Yeah. yeah, exactly. <laughs> then, so, yeah. Or it's like, if it's someone yeah. you're trying to hire, Hey, so if there's one thing holding you back from joining our team here, what would that one thing be? Ah, you know, I just, I don't know. I'm just, I'm not a hundred percent. Well, what would I need to do to 
to make you say yes right now? Hmm. So it's like those kind of hard closing questions often. Yeah. But a lot of people don't ask them. No. It's crazy. So few people in sales. Yeah. Don't ask that. Yeah. I'm going to go back. So I've had some time while you're talking to think about biggest failures. So my, 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 I had it in my head articulated really nicely. I'm going to botch this a little bit, but, uh, my biggest failures have been when I've been selfish and I haven't, there's been a couple times that I've been selfish and it's hurt, uh, relationships that I've had mm-hmm. with people, <clears throat> girlfriends in the past. And also, um, sometimes with friends and close friends that, um, I just did something and it was a selfish act and it hurt someone else. Yeah. And so that's getting a little bit personal, but that, that's been my biggest failure that I'm thinking. Yeah. And I had some falling out with like, uh, my good group of friends that I like grew up with Mm -hmm. over the last few years. And, uh, I mean, there's two sides to the story and, uh, I haven't really talked to them much. We just kind of, people come in and out of your life at different time frames. I know you've gone through that as well. Mm -hmm. I'm sure you have with Mm -hmm. certain people. And I mean, you've only had so much free time with like, you know, who you, who you hang out with. I'm sure that that's had to change because maybe people don't understand what you're going through or want more out of you, but you have your priorities and the people that get that and are going to respect that stay in your life. And the ones that want more, that's unrealistic. They're probably not in your life anymore. And I know I went, I went through that with, with my like core group of friends. And, uh, I know like on the note of just like relationships for me, I find, I want to have relationships with people that there's like, it's got to be more balanced. I don't want to be the only one planning, the only one setting times up to like hang out. And for me, I felt at least with like my group of friends that like, I was kind of the one that was hosting, that was getting people together. And if I wasn't, then like it wouldn't happen. But then I think I was invited to some things, but then it kind of, got old on the things that we were doing. I kind of grew out of like, well, I just don't want to get together and drink and mm-hmm. just like, I don't know. I grew out of that in my like yeah twenties pretty quickly, I think. And yeah. I was just like, well, there's gotta be more to life than just getting together, even with like people that you love hanging out with and just getting drunk liquor on yeah. the, on the weekend. Like what, like that's it. Like, yeah. I don't know. And for me, I wanted more. One of the reasons why I started this podcast is I want to spend some quality time with people that I don't maybe typically get to hang out with that often. Yeah. But, uh, and like dig beneath the surface and like, 
I didn't know your full story on like your journey to where you're at now. I had mi- I had little bits along the way from like <laughs> you know when I'd hang out with your dad, but I didn't know I didn't know a lot of you know what you just shared, and that's and I wouldn't get that if we just communicated through text or like ha- like you know it came down to you know visit you say with your dad and we just like had a lunch or whatever like you need to like have time and you need to like invest in like relationships yeah and so i think you got to so i don't know yes yeah, so maybe some failure uh, of mine has been just uh letting some relationships slide but i also feel like it kind of needed to happen and also have some like self-respect on my end and just be like well you know like if i am going to invest in in a relationship i want it to be reciprocated that's just like a normal response because you can't just take 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 and or give 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 and then not have anything given back yeah and you know man i uh if that resonated you, no, at it's all. so true. I mean, now that you say it, I mean, you're you're bang on. I I actually, I would say probably one of my one hundred percent. And it, and now that you say it, it it's so true. And I probably it doesn't come top to mind because I I'm so tunneled vision on like I was so tunnel vision on my goals and achieving them and so on that I, I forego like a lot of stuff, you know, like I, I, the parties, um, family events, um, you know, I remember like being late for, you know, funerals and like just family events, you know, my, godson's first birthday I didn't go like there's so many different things that I didn't do because I prioritized work right so that's the non inspiring side to the story yeah this is the the sacrificing to get this is the yeah this is like the kind of the 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 you know the the double-edged kind of sword to the whole thing because it's that had to happen right like that had to happen and like there might have been a birthday but if it was on a Saturday and I had three or four appointments I didn't go to the birthday if it was a family event and it was on a Saturday and it could have been like a celebration of life for a family member it could have been a you know it could have been uh, a Christmas dinner straight up. I wouldn't go mm-hmm. because I had to be at the dealership and a lot of people will probably be like, okay, that's like way over the top. Right. But I mean, that's what it took. You know, I wasn't born into a situation where it was like, here you go. Like it's all good. Yeah. You know, I had a great family and an amazing childhood, a good family, lots of opportunity, uh, great parents. But we didn't have like, I mean, it wasn't like this, like, you know, 
here's the family dealership, you know, just go run it. It was like, I, you know, I had to kind of start and make my name, my name for myself with yeah. the street smarts and all that stuff that I learned over the years. But it was like, I put a lot of stuff to the side. Now I ask myself sometimes, right. Could I have done all of those things and still achieved where I'm at today? Right. And the answer is probably yes. It might've just taken a little bit longer. Maybe. I don't know. I'll never know. Yeah. But those are the sacrifices that I made during, you know, these seven years that were just non-negotiable and to a point where for sure I like lost friendships, mm-hmm. friendships that were very close that like, I don't talk to them anymore because mm-hmm. I was just, you know, you get invited so many times to like a Friday night out that you say no to, to a point where it's like, okay, we're just not going to invite them anymore. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Gets to a point where it's like, I see them. We're still like buddies, but it's like, Oh, Hey, what's going on? Like, I haven't seen you in like a year, you know? Yeah. And I now have like a core of maybe, you know, three, four friends yeah. that I talk to regularly. Yeah. But that's it. Yeah. You know, it's pretty tight. The circle is very small. Yeah. Um, but that's kind of what it's become. And a lot of my friendships are business related. Right. You know, and yeah. So I think from a failure standpoint, you, you do hit a nail on the head of those are things that are not as sexy to the story that had to happen. Yeah. And it's not even failure. Uh, I mean, it's how you look at it, right? It's not necessarily failure, but it's, uh, it's choices that it's you choices. have to make. And in hindsight, would I have done things differently? I don't think I ever will live in regret, but I think I might've left work, you know, maybe a couple hours early from time to time. I might've tried to pass a customer off to a colleague, right? But that comes with experience and time, right? Like I think when I was getting into it and I was so young and motivated and driven and just like on a roll, I was like, no, like I need to like control everything. Are you an extrovert or an introvert? Big time extrovert. So the reason why I asked that, I've asked usually each person that I've, or a couple people, uh, on my podcast. And this is something that I've been more aware of and thinking of. Are you extrovert or introvert? What do you think? I would say extrovert for sure. Yeah. I, I am more, definitely more of an extrovert. Yeah. You're not, you're not like, no, I sociable. Yeah. The, yeah. And the big difference that I, that is clear in my mind is extroverts get their energy from people from going out socializing introverts can do that but they get their energy from retreating and having alone time or time to themselves to just recharge and uh the thing that i've learned because my wife's an introvert is that she surrounds herself with like quality people and extroverts typically because they get energy from socializing being out they surround themselves with quantity 
sometimes like not a mm. it's black or white but I've kind of just from being like so close being like married to an introvert I've seen and been introduced to some like amazing people that are in like her like close group mm-hmm. and I really see the benefit and I really like this like quality over quantity even though I like if you and I went out right now to uh like a lounge or something we ran into somebody like I'd probably have a pretty good time and it'd be fun you could socialize and everything and like I'd get energy out of that but spending like quality time with with people um I think long term I think it it does you really good. I think it just like it. I don't know. Looking at it from like a business standpoint of like the ROI, mm-hmm. I think your return on investment of like having quality relationships over quantity. I yeah. think uh, I don't know when you have a funeral and people show up. I'd rather have a small group that. I was able to like really connect with and have like mm-hmm. really, really awesome relationships with or good experiences with than uh, a thousand people that knew me very, very little. Yeah. Right. I don't know. That's that, at least for me, something that I've kind of been thinking more of lately. It's just like yeah. that, that quality over quantity. Yeah. And I mean, and I think how do you, I think like, that line of like you're the average of the five people you hang out with most yeah right so if you're yeah you're hanging out with average you know just quantity you know it's like my uh (laughs) my uncle paul once he asked he's like asked one of his employees he's like look around the room he said uh how many winners are in the room and the phone was silent and he said are you still there and he goes i'm still looking And, uh, (laughs) but it's like, you know, I think surround yourself around quality people and you're going to be a quality person. There's like, I think a a professor of mine, when I was in university, he said to me, well, he was making like, he asked us all to make like keys to success of, you know, our own mission statements of who we are. That was like the project. Right. Mm. And what he said was, he was like you know, the premise of your mission statement should be at your funeral. What do you want people to say about you? Mm. Right. And let that be the guiding force to who you're going to be as a, as an individual. Oh, I love that. Yeah. And so I've always tried to like stay conscious of that. And so like the words that come to mind for me is genuine, humble, kind, you know, likes to have fun, uh, supportive, uh, a good friend, honest, uh, hardworking, right? All those things, right? So if that's who you want to be, that's how you want people to know you, you just got to live it. You got to live and breathe those core values. Yeah. And the one that I focus on from a work scenario has been work ethic, right? So like if there's one quality that I want people to like know me as yeah i want them to know me as man that guy works whole like yeah not that he you know i'm the funniest guy or the this the coolest guy or any of that but like wow that guy like man that guy hustles 
Yeah. Like he gets the job done. He's he is on another level. Yeah. He's burning the midnight oil. He's doing what it takes. Yeah. Cuz that's often the people that get recognized. Yeah, you're not leaving any stone unturned. Right. It's when it's like think of like LeBron James, Wayne Gretzky. Like think of the greats in any craft, right? If you like you know, uh Ryan Seacrest, Tom Cruise, like any like high level performer in any craft. If you like ask them, like, tell me about like your life and your schedule. And like, they're all like kind of next level, kind of out of control, like this crazy level of passion and commitment and everything else. And it's like, man, that's, that's what it takes to be that kind of that next level top level like the one the 0.1% yeah and uh and then you know people coast down later and they you know relax like Michael Jordan I'm sure sitting on a beach somewhere right now but yeah there's a lot of years man where he was making a thousand shots at six in the morning and no one ever really like talks about that like what we're talking about today no one talks about this stuff everyone just sees like oh he's 25 he's a GM I wonder oh he must have known someone that must have just happened his dad must be connected. Like that's the, that's the thoughts is that like there was some shortcut. Yeah. Right. It's just like LeBron James, like, Oh yeah. He's just naturally like talented or like people will say these things, Tom Brady. Right. Yeah. But it's like, at some point people have to be like, okay, like, uh, like eventually people stop talking and go fuck. Okay. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah, he's, he's, he's next level. Yeah. But it takes a long time. Yeah. I, I met, um, my mom was a, a legal secretary at a law firm. So I would go when I was young visitor at work and, uh, she would introduce me to all these lawyers and she worked at, uh, Aikens, Macaulay and Thorvaldson, very, yeah. you know, big top law firm in, in Winnipeg. And she worked for some like amazing lawyers yeah. And so she would bring me in and, you know, just like basically sit me down and just spend some time talking with these, these lawyers. And I remember one, uh, his name's Michael Mercury. He's retired now, but he, he'd asked me questions. What do you want to do, et cetera. But he was like, you know, you either work hard in the first 10 years of your life and then you can enjoy the remaining 40 or you can work or you can party and enjoy the first 20, 30 years of your life. And then you're going to work for the rest of your life, basically. Like, do the hard work now know, so right? that you don't have to later. So even though we taught you, like, you know, we talk about the things that you sacrifice and the and and the, win, the, the wins and the losses to get to this point. Well, shit, you're only 25 and you got that under your belt the rest the the next 25 years are going to be like unbelievable and you'll be able to balance it out more because you've put in the hard work up yeah to now. i mean <clears throat> i mean who knows right i mean you know i think i think i could have a chance at you know owning some dealerships you know i'd like to own my own dealership. I, I'd like to run an auto group. 
of, you know, multiple dealerships and run a big company of hundreds of employees. Like, and I, and I think my, and it's funny how your the ladder keeps growing right now. I'm never going to believe that, Oh, I'm going to take for me to be happy. I need to do that because I've, it's, that's not the case. It's just, I think you always got to be pushing for that next step. Now, one day maybe I'll slow down. You know, maybe kids come into the picture. Maybe it slows down. Yeah. But I just don't know, man. I mean, I I firmly believe that no one will outwork me in this industry. Mm-hmm. I have a competitive advantage of having some amazingly great mentors and history and, and everything. And... I just feel that, you know, I'm the car business has a lot of people in it that aren't necessarily overly educated still to this day and aren't overly the car business doesn't have a lot of people that are overly kind of motivated and you'll find a lot of people get to a general manager position and all of a sudden they're taking Saturdays off. They're taking they're coming in at 10, leaving at 3 life's good they're just mad their managers are taking care of it you know like they just kind of get into this like part-time mentality of like oh I, I run this business and I don't need to be here but it's like you know the moment you start to become comfortable in anything is typically right about when it's going to unravel on you you never can get comfortable and that's like the the comment I said even if you're in first, you got to be, you got to be working like you're in second. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, being like being comfortable in, uh, in uncomfortable situations. Uh, if you can get good at that, that's huge. That's just, that's so big. It's the name of the game, man. I, uh, I'm excited. I think who knows, maybe you and I work together. Maybe, you know, Hey, who knows? Right. <laughs> Maybe this podcast, I'm excited. One day you and I are going to listen to this podcast and be like, remember that? Yeah. yeah. Look at the things we were talking about. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. So, so yeah. Talking about your, your future and, and running, um, multiple stores and, and then, I mean, what's, uh, what's after that? Like, do, what's your end game yeah or like what's your ultimate you're like holy shit i am now doing this what, what yeah what you is know that? what man i i'd say this like i think i would love to get to a point where i could really have just a meaningful impact on a lot of people you know and mm-hmm. get to a point where you know i love the stories of like the bill gates and the these amazing people that just reach a a success level so high and then they commit their lives to philanthropy and just really amazing things. And I mean, who knows, right? I think, you know, for me, end game, you know, to, to run a big company, to run multiple dealerships, to, to be doing something like that, you have such a big impact on a lot of people. Mm. Um, and you know, it's a, it'd be such a challenging job with so many different 
you know, challenges among different manufacturers and so on that I think it'd be something I'd love to take on, mm-hmm. you know, it'd be kind of the, it'd be like this, the next level of what I'm doing. It's, it's taken on, you know, everyone's problems, not just one. Yeah. And, uh, and that's, I think if you can collectively get everybody, you know, succeeding and doing well and all in a bunch of dealerships, I mean, yeah, that'd be pretty cool to have an impact on that. And, you know, yeah, Yeah. I think one observation I can make that, uh, that I see in you and people that are talking about the great ones, not the good ones is that you're paying attention and you're paying attention to the right things. So when you go into a store or you're going in to is like a uncomfortable situation, you look around and you pay attention to something that you, that maybe the, the predecessor before you like wasn't paying attention on, you know, the, they were getting comfortable. They were doing this, they were handing this off to this person or whatever, but you pay attention to something that needs, uh, some, uh, that needs attention to, and yeah. then you work on putting effort in like behind whatever that is. And then you, you turn it around and, uh, you know, like you, you get, uh, once you get access to more information too, you can kind of look at the whole picture speaking personally of like when I was like, okay, well here's, you know, digital marketing and like social media. It's like, well, here's all the data, but like, what does it mean? And if you just like let all this information just kind of like sit on your desk mm-hmm. and they, and you don't take time to, you pay attention to the data and then you create an action plan behind it. Like that's how you get results. And the ones that stop doing that, I mean, you're, mm-hmm. you, you've stopped paying attention to what, whatever it is. And then things start to unravel, right? Like yeah. you, if you, if you are in a comfortable spot, you should probably, pick up a new project or take on something that, uh, maybe scares you a little or is good. Yeah. And you know, I, I did buy, I bought a triplex rental property and you know, I, I, I would, I would be, and I got a condo kind of townhouse and yeah, I, I am going to go down a real estate path too. Yeah. You know, I think real estate and car business, are two things that I like. They're yeah. very tangible businesses and yeah. call me old school, but I like them. Yeah. Um, and you know what? Like, I think Dean, something that I would suggest any business person and it's, and young, old, it doesn't women, men, it, it doesn't matter. But when you talk about paying attention, one of the things that I did that was, I think very impactful uh, at Jaguar Land Rover, Nissan Infinity, and now Eastern Chrysler was making a strategic plan. So literally we got every manager from the dealership out of the building for two days straight. And in Nissan, it was more, it was like four days. And we went through each department. We went through strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, threats, the SWOT analysis we talked about. Yeah. We went through 
what's our key success factors for 2018, for 2019? What's the, what, if we do not achieve these things, we will not be successful. One of these five things, you know, so what is that? What is that? And then we talked about, you know, what are the areas that we need to focus on? Let's build a budget. You know, these are things that a lot of businesses don't do. It's crazy, right? Because you're going into a, you're going into, if you don't have a roadmap, you, you don't know where to start. And you probably one of the most impactful things in our strategic planning is we did an anonymous survey to the entire staff. And what we, what it was, was what's our strengths? What's our weaknesses? What can we do better? What are products and services we should be offering? Uh, and is there anything, if there's one thing that you could change in the new year, what is that one thing you would change? And we had like an 85% participation rate. It's huge. And every manager sat in a room at a table like this, and we watched it on a big projection screen. We read every single response. And after reading them, then we went into our strategic plan and our SWOT analysis and our key success factors and, and our mission statement, our vision statement, on and on and on it goes. Yeah. And our, our mission statement was all about being a leader in our community, a leader in business, providing the highest level of customer service. Like really, and now I have that, I got a picture frame of our mission statement on every manager's desk, every salesperson's desk, every advisor's desk. That's our mission statement, highest level of customer service. So like that is a culture change. That's a, that's a vision change, a strategic change. And and it stemmed from the feedback. And it stemmed from the feedback of the team. So when you as a team member, you make a comment about how, you know, you don't like how we do X, Y, Z. And then all of a sudden X, Y, Z starts to change. In your head, you must be thinking like, holy shit. They read it. Right? Yeah. Someone says that door's broken. That door's been broken for five years. No one's fixed it. This and that. All of a sudden the door's being replaced. Uh, I just figured out your... That's your key to success right there. That's what makes you a good leader. And that is something that not a lot of leaders uh, do or uh, managers, people that manage other people, they hold their cards tight to themselves and they don't, uh, I don't know, let people in or ask for Feedback. other Man, people's it's, opinion. It's, it's a unit, right? Like you have to, and especially in a business, like if you want everyone pulling on the same rope, you need everybody bought in and, and you need to let them know that you've listened to their concerns, man. I got the whole dealership over a hundred people every month at the end of the month, we get them together. We call it a town hall meeting. We get them together in the shop, right? And what we do is we talk about the month prior, what we did well, what, where areas of opportunity, each department, and then what we do is we give awards away, employee of the month, top salesperson, technician of the month, body technician of the month, uh, um, uh, parts master of the month, service advisor of the month. They all have prime parking spots. And every single top employee of the month, other than sales, because sales is just quantitative, but like your top service advisor, it's never really related to results. It's always a story about how they went the extra mile for a customer. Yeah technician you know technician actually drove his vehicle to the perimeter highway to help a customer when they broke down 
and made sure you brought him back to the dealership, got him in a loaner, wasn't paid for it. You tell that story and what it says to the entire staff is that's what we're looking for, right? And everyone claps and you're, you're in front of like a hundred people. You come take and we take a picture and it's like a big deal. And, and it's you, positive. And you get a parking spot positive. and everyone's yeah. kind of. So, and the first one we did, I was very clear. I'm like, thank you to everybody that did your survey. I read every single one. In fact, our entire management team read every single one. And we made a strategic plan based on your responses of what we need to do better, what our strengths are. And man, I'll tell you what, we had some very honest, intense, like, like reviews ripping apart, like some of the things that were going on. Yeah. Managers, processes, stuff like that. And it was like, man, you, you looked at the faces in the room. It was like, everyone was like mouth open. And I was like, guys, this isn't a bad thing. This is actually a great thing. Yeah. This is what our staff thinks. Yeah. Cats out of the bag. Now let's just, now what do we do to fix it? Let's make a plan. Yeah. Yeah. Right. That's, yeah. That's huge. And there were some people, a couple managers no longer there that were like mad. They were like angry that their staff was like ratted on ratting them. on them. And it was like, man, it's not like that. It's like, don't take it personal. It's not personal. This is a, this is what it is. Let's fix it. Let's move forward and let's be, you know, let's be better. Yeah. But that's huge. I don't know if this, this sounds like your style, but one thing that I've, I've worked for, you know, different organizations, different cultures, I've seen good cultures, not so good cultures. One little thing that makes such a huge difference is every, and if this comes from the top down, I know that this would be a game changer if you struggle with like a, a bad culture and you want to turn things around. Start every meeting with uh, either a positive story or a compliment of a staff member that's that's done something good. And I don't care how little it is. If you start every meeting with, hey, just want to acknowledge so-and-so. Um, this week, they stayed uh, a little bit extra late, you know, to help close a deal. And I just want to... I just want to take the time to let you know that I appreciate you going that, that extra little mile. Or if it's not something extra, it's like, hey, I just want to appreciate so-and-so for, you know, the janitor wasn't here today and they swapped out uh, toilet paper. Like, whatever it is, but you, like, appreciate the, like, people like a little pat on the back. Oh, It goes so far and people don't, like, if you open the door for someone and let someone in. Yeah. If you let someone in before you, if you put other people like ahead of yourself, ahead of yourself, no matter where you are in terms of like power, whatever, you will make leaps and bounds of a difference and impact on people's lives. And people, I don't know if that's a strategy in like the uh, how to win friends and influence, influence people, people or, or yeah. whatever. But like if uh, if you're a manager and you have people that uh that are that you are working with not under you but that you're working with and you have a meeting or whatever just take a minute in the beginning of a meeting and just thank or compliment 
at least one person and then get into the, you know, weeds and, and uncover what needs to be uncovered. But man, that is like a huge game changer that makes like people just are happier. They enjoy, you know, at oh, work yeah. a lot more like that is, that's huge. Yeah. I, I believe that at least. I don't know if you. Yeah. We, uh, it was one of the first things I did was 9am sales meetings every day. Mm. And we have daily goals, weekly goals, but always, always, always before we talk about appointments or before we talk about numbers or anything, it's like first thing we'll do is we'll talk about the day before Mm -hmm. who sold cars and what happened. Mm -hmm. And every day it's, it's a good job. Somebody like today, for example, it was like this girl Ivanka sold two cars and it was like, great job. Two cars yesterday. Amazing. Uh, the one guy, he, he, he was just thinking about it. Right. And I was like, when he said he was going to think about it, what were you thinking? And she's like, challenge accepted. And I was like, right on. Like, you know, like, and, yeah. and so, um, it just kind of, you know, it's, that's the kind of, that's the good stuff. Right. Yeah. And, and not everyone always knows like, where's everyone at? Who sold what? Like what's going on? Yeah. So it'd be like, Tim, you know, great job, man. Three cars yesterday, like killing it. Yeah. You know? And like in front of your peers, like that's, that's good, man. It is. It's and, huge. Yeah. It's huge. Um, that's so important. And that honestly sounds like little stuff, right? It really does. Yeah. It sounds like little stuff. Yeah. The strategic planning thing sounds like some people might say that's a waste of time, but you know what, man, it makes a massive difference. Because uh, there was actually a quote, uh, that book, Good to Great. And it's, what it says is, uh, a great vision without great people is irrelevant. Yeah. Right? So you can have the greatest plan or vision in the world. But if it's your, if it's your plan, rarely are you going to succeed if you don't have great people behind you. Yeah. Right? And that's like the big thing about like being a good leader is if you come to me with a problem, I'm just programmed to say, if you, you're like, oh, what do I do? I got this. Uh, I'll be like, what do you think we should do? Mm-hmm. You, you, and you'll tell me often it's the right answer. I'll be like, Hey, you know what? That's a great idea. You should go do that. If it's a bad idea, I'll be like, well, have you considered, might I suggest that's a really good idea, but might I suggest, Yeah. you know, but now all of a sudden, you're, you're building confidence in your people. You're building, you're building a realization in in your unit that people can make decisions for themselves and you're not the bottleneck to every decision. Mm -hmm. And you still need to have a structure where people do, but people, people will own the solution to a problem a heck of a lot more if it's their idea. Totally. Absolutely. And that's a, that's a huge differentiator between a manager and a leader. Right. Yeah. Cause a manager will just say, go do this, go do that. Yeah. You know, and, uh, won't take new ideas. They'll just, you know, dish out tasks. But exactly. if you give them the yeah. time to Guys, come think? to the yeah. table with an idea and then you empower them to, or encourage them to go and, uh, yeah, give it a shot. If, if it is, uh, 
a good idea. It's like, well, yeah, what's, what's like you're encouraging them to take a risk think for themselves. Yeah. And, and people, and sometimes it's like, it's like, Oh crap. Like now forces you to actually think, think it through. Yeah. What do I do? You know, the guy wants to back out of the deal because X, Y, Z, uh, you know, there's, there's whatever, a scratch on it. Okay. What do you think we should do? Well, I think we should just tell them that we'll fix it. Yeah. And be like, yeah, you know what? I, I think you're right. I think we should fix it. So why don't you just go tell him that we'll fix it. And if he's okay with that, then, you know, we'll get it done and he can keep the van or whatever. Yeah. Good idea. And it's like, okay, but that's something I really try to motivate is like, yeah, people come to you with problems. What do you think we should do? Yeah. You don't have to be the problem solver. Yeah. And it makes also. your life a lot easier too. Yeah. Because yeah. now you don't need to spend all this time and energy on every little problem because a lot of the times they'll solve it for you and it's like, hey, good idea. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There's not, I mean, there is a lot to it, but no, those, those little strategies, like there's, there's not much to it it's, if it's, you actually, it's, yeah, if it's, you know it. Yeah. And it's little stuff like that, empowering people, um, supporting people, you know, I, I I'll never ever like if someone's genuinely trying hard, like I'll always do my best to, you know, to help them. It's when people kind of are like maybe lazy or skipping steps or, you know, just like not seeing things through that I get like, I'm like, man, this is frustrating. Yeah. Yeah. But it's about surrounding yourself. Like I said, it's, it's all the, if you don't have a great team, you don't have great people, you have nothing. Uh, a good uh, business guy was trying to recruit me to Alberta once. Um, he flew me out to Edmonton and I toured some dealerships and this was a different auto group. And I almost went hmm. to Calgary and it was Calgary, sorry. Um, and, uh, so he flew me out to Calgary, toured the stores, all the stuff offer, you know, it was a great offer, but he said, you know, I can build as many buildings as I want. I can do as the cars, the buildings, none of it matters without good people. That's the hardest thing to find. And I remember after that line, I was like, man, he's so right. It's the hardest thing, but success breeds success. So sometimes if you can just get a core group of successful people working together, it'll just breed the whole unit. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It trickles. It just trickles. And yeah. Yeah. I saw a huge, uh, (laughs) impact in going back to, um, how we kind of dealt with like an internet sales team. And I used to just give everyone like one lead at a time. And then I was like, okay, well, so-and-so is doing a lot more effort into building a relationship with this customer and, and getting them down and like converting more leads. So I gave them more leads Mm -hmm. so that they would be more successful because it was a win-win for both of us. And then the ones that weren't, bought into using technology and, you know, having to communicate via an email or a text or on the phone or whatever and do that extra little work, 
they were noticing the team that I had surrounded myself with on converting leads. Well, they were making more money. We were having more fun. They, yeah. you know, and then, and then some of the ones that were like on the fence of like, I don't know, do I like go into this? Do I not? Like it had a trickle effect and then people like it got bigger because it got to a point where it's like, well, yeah, okay. I can't just hand out to just three people. I need five people on the team now. And it just, it got, it got bigger. It's exactly that. Like that's, that's totally true. It does success breeds success. Yeah. Yeah. I'm a big believer of it. And that's, I always kind of anchor back to your team can never see you sweat. Your team needs to see you as the, you know, you, the ones around you, if you're, if you're positive, you're confident and you, the the confidence and the, that it'll, it'll breed, but it's Mm -hmm. when you start kicking stones Mm -hmm. and you're negative Mm -hmm. and that's what you're going to get. Right. Yeah. So often like, you know, you're in full control of your success. You're in full control of your life. You're in full control of everything that goes on. And life is 90% of how you respond to, to everything. And it's 10% of what actually happens. Mm-hmm. So 10% is actually what happens. 90% of it's how you respond. And to add to that, if you can control not being like reactive yeah breathe yeah that's a big one when shit's hitting the fan yeah meditation something that i've taken up over the last few years Mm, by advice yeah and staying like breathe take a breath you know just take a breath yeah don't just react right away but take a minute yeah i used to freak out over like small shit right and ever since i started meditating i used to think it was so weird like meditating, but I do it in the morning. So I go to the gym and then I meditate tomorrow will be a tough morning. It's a late yeah. one. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but no, I, um, I just, I, I really just found that it's, it's allowed me to like be way more analytical in my response to shit, especially when stuff's like bad. You find you're, you're more centered big time. Yeah. Calm centered I fall out of, I fall out of balance sometimes for sure but I'm just like that's something that's like but I've definitely found it's kind of chilled me out big time I'm still like hustling and stuff like that but I'm like I'm not as uh quick to react and freak out or stuff like that right yeah it's amazing what just the power of like the breath has and like you can literally if you if you're like in a in a panic or in like if you're so if you're angry like lay down on the floor and take 10 deep breaths guaranteed you your blood pressure will level out and your mind will clear and you can't stay angry when you like when you when you go through that exercise not everyone's gonna do that but if you even just meditate for a little how long do you meditate for in the morning about 10 15 minutes do you use an app yeah which one calm oh yeah i use calm yeah it's oh it's great it's it's yeah it's huge tamara levitt 
yeah. username, right? Yeah. yeah. And it makes such a good difference throughout the rest of your day. Like you put 10 minutes into meditating in the morning and like the rest of your day, you won't get triggered as easily. Or if it does, I, yeah, you're, find, you're more tuned in. You're more like I aware. I find it just, it's, it's, I find it to be a really great thing. Um, mm-hmm. But I mean, again, I'm telling you, like, both of us, we got a long road. Hmm. I can't even believe, like, the story I just told. It seems long, but it's only been, like, 70 years. I mean, it's not that long. Yeah. It's a short stint. Yeah. I was talking to a guy today about, you know, he's, he's a manager and... You know, he's been a, he's been managing car dealerships for like forty seven years. Holy cow! Yeah, and I'm like, man, so basically twice your age. Yeah, but the whole time managing cars. Yeah, <laughs> like he also had a life before that. Yeah, but it's like, wow, man. So it's yeah. I mean, it's still very fresh. Yeah, time will tell what ends up happening. Yeah. But the one thing I can promise you is, uh, I will be in the car business and probably real estate, but I feel very fortunate myself to know at a young age what I wanted to do. And that is the secret sauce too, because I think a lot of people at a young age don't know what they want to do, don't know what direction they want to go. They, they're they in, they're out, they're in, they're out, they're undecisive. And it's tough. But I just, for whatever reason, I just was like, you know what? I like this car business thing. <laughs> it's kind of been in the family. I'm just like, let's give this thing a go. Yeah. And, uh, so I think that's something to be said is like, I think with anything that anyone does with a focused effort and time, like there's no substitute for time. Yeah. You know, I think if you give something time and you give it effort, you're destined to succeed. Yeah. One of two things doesn't happen. You either don't give it time or you don't give it enough effort. But if you give it enough effort and you do give it time, there's no way you can fail. Yeah, yeah absolutely. I put myself in the latter category. I didn't know what I wanted to do. And that's okay. Yeah. Right? Like the runway is long. The runway is long. We got lots of life. You got a beautiful house. You got a great wife. You got like, man, it's amazing. You know? And I mean, there's lots to be grateful for. Oh, but 100%. You know, from... Yeah, I mean, for me, I just, yeah, I just, I haven't had the desire to change industries. It's just been my thing. Mm -hmm. You've been always marketing, I think, though. I mean, marketing as a whole, industries you've changed, but you've always stuck to marketing. Yeah, that's the one thing that I've been fortunate in. And actually, a banker pointed this out when we were refinancing our mortgage. And she's looking at the jobs that I had, and she's like, she complimented me on staying in marketing. She's right. like, you've had different, like totally different field changes. Like I've worked for, yeah, the auto industry and then nonprofit industry, but yeah. I've done 
the same work and I've just added skills at each job that I've had. Yeah. And so I've stayed in marketing. Um, and same kind of thing, right? I've changed brands, yeah. dealerships, but it's yeah. always been the car business. So, I mean, yeah, I think you've stuck in the, in a generalized thing and, and you've done well. And I think, I think that's something that's important. I think you, anytime, like, well, I've given a lot of time and effort. Exactly. Right. Yeah. yeah. And man, that's why like I get so rattled, like I'll hire salespeople. And then it's like, man, I just had this guy, we just hired him two weeks. He's there for two weeks and he quits. And he's like, man, like I just, hmm. I, I just, I can't do this. I'm not like, I'm not going to be successful and stuff. And I try to give him a pep talk. I'm like, dude, like you're going to do it. Like, just give it some time. Like it's been two weeks. And no, hmm. it's like, you gotta have patience. Like, that's the other thing. Like, when I was washing cars, selling cars, stuff like that, like, you have to just trust in the process. Trust in the fact that things will work out. Have faith. Stay focused. Don't, you know... But people have different risk uh, tolerances, right? And so, like, you know, like, uh, that's really risky for some people to... uh, you know, even buy and sell one car on the side with their own money, even though it's not really like you had cash, like you had a line of credit, but like you tell some people that and they're like, Oh my God, that's terrifying. That's so, that's such a big risk or to stay in sales. It's like, it's such a big risk. Like, Oh man, I've gotten no so many times, but it's like, well, maybe it's, it's baby steps. Maybe, maybe, maybe now isn't the time to sell cars maybe you got to go sell gym memberships at good life and just get your feet wet there and maybe you you get you know like where is your uh where are they at in their like skill level and journey like if you just throw mm-hmm. an amateur football player into like an nfl game they'd get crushed like they would just fold under pressure like you got to build up to that level of experience yeah and having leaders guide co-workers in the right like on the trajectory of like the skill level that they're at the comfort level that they're at that has got to line up pretty good too yeah right so maybe it just wasn't wasn't the right time yeah before we wrap up i gotta ask this question so what so what made you come on the podcast and actually do this? And people might be like listening to this and be like, oh man, Frank and Dean are like best buds and they like must hang out all the time. But we never like actually hung out. No. Like, no. like yeah. this before and, yeah. uh, and chatted. And um, yeah, just, just, and this just cur- like curiosity. Good question. Yeah. Actually. So, uh, a couple of years ago I got a personal trainer because I was working out in the mornings and I started to meditate and I was finding that it was a good moment for me to like balance because I was going so hard into to work that I found the working out in the morning and, and the meditation side was like a good release for me. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I got this personal trainer and it actually just started. He just, he was just working out and he, Hey, how's it going, man? I noticed you're here every day and um, have you ever considered personal training? And anyways, I was like, yeah, you know what? I'd give this a go. And, uh, 
And I did. And, and this guy was like very into like Tim Ferriss and a lot of the same, you know, people and, and just stuff that I'm into. Mm-hmm. And anyways, as we got to know each other, we just got to know each other's story. Like I know his background and how he became a personal trainer. He's got a clothing line and all this stuff. Mm. And then he got to know me and kind of who I am and how I, what I'm doing and that. Yeah. He's like, man, he's like, you got to tell your story to somebody. And he's like, I, I don't know. It just seems crazy to me that you're this young guy and no one knows your story. He's like, I think it's pretty badass. And I was like, I was like, I was like, oh, thanks, man. And I just kind of left it at that. Yeah. And uh, long story short, he moved gyms and this and that. And I actually, he invited me down to see this new gym that he's like, he's working at. And Mm. so he's, he's like next level, like fitness and all this kind of stuff. So I go and he's talking to me. He's like, man, he's like. I love what you're doing on Instagram. You saw the videos we're sharing on like the dealership, like yeah. really cool videos and stuff. Yeah. He's like, but I still think you need to share your story. And I'm like, all right, Steve. I was like, maybe one day. And he's like, and then a few days later you pop by the dealership and you're like, yeah, I'm doing this podcast or whatever. And I was like, he's like, you want to come on? And I was like, ah, you know what? I was like, sure. Why not? And it actually, so it all kind of happened. Good timing. Yeah. And I just, yeah. You know, my, my goal is, is if there's anybody that's like a little bit, maybe wondering if like, you know, do I need to have like a certain set of circumstances to succeed or I need like something to succeed? Well, no, you don't. You really don't. You just need to decide and you will choose to, to be successful or not. Mm-hmm. and that's a decision you'll make. Mm-hmm. And I hope I can inspire people that can, you know, maybe say, Hey, well, if he can do it, so can I, mm-hmm. because that's how I've lived my life. If he can do it, then so can I. And, you know, I hope other people think that I hope other people want to take my job. Yeah. And, uh, <clears throat> you know, I think, if I can share some of the knowledge I've learned from some amazing leaders yeah. and some amazing mentors and some, you know, from over the years of just ups and downs and all the rest of it, then I hope it can help people. For sure. Well, I appreciate you coming, coming here and sharing your story because I know that it, not a lot of people know it. And I knew probably more than a lot of people just because of the relationship that I have with your dad and, you know, got to know you like over the years, but I didn't know what you just shared. So yeah. Yeah. Thanks for like opening up and and sharing that. There's a lot of good gems. I think, I think people will get a lot out of this. So I'm I'm hoping that, uh, (laughs) well, good. I hope, uh, you know, I, again, I appreciate it. And yeah, well, I, we'll look back at this one day over a, a beer and, yeah. And laugh at our younger selves. Right? <laughs> yeah. It's like a time capsule, right? Yeah. Like it's just, it'll be stored in, uh, in the internet and, uh, yeah, you can go back to it at any and, point. And this might be my first and, you know, maybe last, maybe I might do another podcast again. I don't know. We could dive into, I'm sure a, a lot of different stuff. We'll, we'll wait we till the next do. chapter. Maybe we wait, we'll wait, <clears throat> we'll give it a few years until maybe there's a, 
the next chapter starts to unfold. Yeah, more stuff to talk about. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> awesome. Is there any other uh, like parting things that you want uh, listeners to either like do or check out? Or uh, I mean, you could mention where um, like how people can get in touch with you if you want. If not, just any last words of wisdom or parting thoughts or or yeah. we can dive into like talking about something else too but i'll, I'll leave it in near um end. you know what i mean i'm on facebook i'm on instagram i'm at the dealership i'm pretty i mean i, I i'll always answer the phone i'm always happy to talk to anybody and you know if anyone ever wants advice i'm the first guy to you know i'd be happy to to help anybody but you know i think again but my big thing that i really want to push on people mm-hmm. is that you're not a creature of circumstance you're not just rolling with the motions you're in full control and as long as you remember that and don't lose sight of that and you know you'll do whatever you want and And the last thing I would say is create a personal mission statement for yourself, a vision, a mission statement, and, and ask yourself, like, seriously, you know, if I was to die tomorrow, what do I want people to say at my funeral? And let those things guide you in your decision-making throughout your life. Mm. Love that. I'm going to do that. I'm definitely going to go, go do that. That's, uh, that's awesome. I just want to end it on that note because okay. <laughs> that was beautiful. <laughs> awesome. Well, thanks for coming on the podcast and, and sharing your story. I appreciate your time. Absolutely. All right. Hi guys, Dean Douglas here. Thanks so much for trucking through that episode. I know it was a long one, but I hope that you guys found it inspirational and enjoyable. I sure as heck did and uh, can't wait to do a round two down the road with Frank. Uh, He's just an awesome guy and I was so thankful to have him on the podcast and the timing really lined up perfectly for us to be able to have that conversation so i hope you guys found it enjoyable if you did please leave a review on whatever platform you're currently listening to this podcast on and also head over to www.simpletounderstand.com leave a comment there and uh like we discussed in the episode there's a whole bunch of relevant links and everything in this in the show notes so www.simpletounderstand.com go over there check it out and uh yeah looking forward to doing the next few episodes we got some exciting conversations lined up and i will be trying my best to get out more episodes on a more frequent basis i know it's been a little bit of a hiatus in between episodes but bear with me i will find a rhythm and uh, can't wait to continue having these awesome enriching conversations and i hope you guys have been enjoying it as well let me know and uh that's it that's all for now thanks guys for uh, taking a moment and uh until next time take care